Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. I was just thinking of a scene from the movie uh, Broadcast News. Uh, William Hurt, who plays the newscaster, and uh, I've forgotten the other guy, but he sweats a lot when he plays the newscaster, uh, Holly Hunter, and some other folks. And it's really, it, it's, they have this one scene, right? So there's one scene where they have to get a tape into the, the cassette. This is back when there were tapes, you know, before a lot of uh, computer stuff, everything was kind of manual. And they had to get in for a report for the, the national reporter, who was Jack Nicholson. And so they're, they're racing and they're jumping around and they're throwing it and they're like doing the, the, the slide in the first base and they're going all over the place and they just get it in and they hit the button play and it plays at exactly the right time when Nicholson says, and now the news of the day, you know, and uh, it, was, it was great. Well, well, today's show is kind of like that. <laughs> so we've had a lot of stuff, a lot of material, a lot of messages flying back and forth. And the, the real fun of the fun of this show, you, you think what happens on the air is fun. You can see what happens off the air, but I can't tell you that because it's off the air. So, you, you know, it's just, but let me, trust me, radio is a kick. It is an absolute blast and amazing things happen. And I've been privileged to meet the most incredible people, you know, on the face of the earth with a lot more incredible people to go. And just, it is an absolute privilege to be able to do this. It only took 30 years, but you know, good things are worth the wait, right? So someone said, sure, an overnight success. You're on the radio. Yeah. Well, let me tell you the backstory. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's a little bit to it, but I think that um, that kind of seasons one to uh, to be able to do what, what we do here uh, at Action Radio, creating things that have never even been thought of, I think, uh, anywhere else, and certainly not allowed by the um, by the, the the masters of radio, you know, the talk radio gurus, the gods, the uh, the Mount Olympus at uh, at Salem and Cumulus and iHeart and who well, there's another one, <laughs> you know, uh, Sirius and whoever they are, but uh, the, the, the gatekeepers, the, the gatekeepers to creativity, the bosses, the people that uh, have, uh, they go to school to learn the word no. <laughs> Sometimes I think management training involves, you know, one word. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're, now you're a manager now. Yeah. You're also a jerk. <laughs> okay. Uh, if that's all you say is no, uh, you know, I kind of have a, a philosophy. I think it's a little different than folks when it comes to uh, managing because I have people here. They're all volunteers. They're the most wonderful people. They can come and go as they want. I mean, the, you know, I have nothing, over any of the folks that are here. I mean, I hope to pay them all a fortune one day. But uh, as far as it goes, people are here because they want to be here. And I think part of that uh, is, is, you know, my philosophy of, of educate, motivate, delegate. And you can all steal that. All you managers and supervisors out there, educate, motivate, delegate. And if you can do that, then you empower people to do amazing things. It's, you know, it's like on the show. You know, we get new reporters. What do you want me to talk about? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? You know, you know, do it, can, I, can I talk about this topic? And the answer is always the same. Yes. <laughs> Unless it's something really bad or really not, you know, not helpful to us. But for the most part, you, know, you got a 99.99% chance of me saying yes. And so, and even if it's something I don't know about or I've never heard of or I don't, you know, like we have a guest today. I did not know this guest. My apologies, Jonathan. I did not know who you were. So Jonathan Otto, O-T-T. So for you dyslexics, you know, this is one of those names you can handle. Uh, so Jonathan Otto is going to be on in the second hour. In the third hour, we have our returning uh, guest, Kenneth Weeks, who is our Jones expert. And I want to have him on more often. Um, there's kind of, it's interesting, the, the, uh, and I played his WEBY classic interview. There's kind of a gap. You know, when I was getting Action Radio going uh, the first couple of years, uh, you know, I didn't really reach back to some of the, the other folks. Uh, and now I'm doing that. Because it took a while to establish a show to figure out how I was going to do it completely on my own, as opposed to only one hour. 
WBY, uh, I just did one hour of, of, of action radio, not three. Because that was that was the that was the arrangement that was the deal. So I did two hours of you know news, sports, weather, uh, that kind of stuff, traffic, <laughs> you know, all the stuff that you can get on the internet that you don't need uh, AM radio for anymore. But that was the deal. So that's what I did, and so I had one hour of action radio. Well, those are the ones I played because those to me were the were, were far more interesting than the sports, weather, traffic, and reporting things that have already been reported. And so that's the problem with the, the internet age is that all these AM radio stations, you know, drive time. There was a time back in the 60s when that, that format was developed. That was it. If you're in your car, you only had one source of information, AM radio. So you had to get your news, your sports, your traffic, your weather. Um, of course, you were in the weather. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, maybe with weather later that day for the ride home. But in those days, most people worked um, at a job. They had, to go, they had to drive to it. You know, and they're driving, you know, 1965 Chevy Impalas with V8 engines or, or Ford Galaxies or something else big. And there was a lot of pollution and, uh, you know, a lot of environmental stuff needed to be done to clean it up. Okay. Well, it was done. It was cleaned up and we're in a pretty clean environment now. So all you environmental wackos go home. Great job. <laughs> you know, do something else, do something productive because you you know, you were right and you succeeded. And now this climate change nonsense, you know, it's like they're, they're seeking another mission. So when they did the right thing in cleaning up the world from 1965 Impalas and galaxies, um, now they have whatever else was there. Um, I think those are the big cars. There's probably another one. What did Chrysler have? Uh, New Yorkers, you know, Plymouth Furies, you know, all these really big cars, right? Um, but they were fun. In fact, I want to get one, but that's beside the point. But the thing is that they, they were, uh, it's not that they were too big, it's that they were, the uh, engine technology at the time sucked. And so we had to make them cleaner, which of course we have now. And so these folks are still in search of a mission. Anyway, um, I'm not sure I'm going with that. <laughs> I'm just sort of talking about it. It, it. Oh, yeah. So back to AM radio. So the AM radio format was it, because, you know, this is before cell phones and computers and, you know, and they they get the news off a teletype, and so in fact, I have my 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 teletype uh, sound. Let me get my news teletype here. This is kind of fun. I play this every once in a while, uh, just to hear this. It. So it's so what they used to do was go down to a machine. It was called a wire, the wire services. So you, you heard about AP, the Associated Press. So all the press agencies used to uh, come together, and they formed the Associated Press, which is an amalgamation of of media, so they could all get the same information at the same time off the AP wire, and it sounded like this. And it would, it would literally type things up, and you had this little round um, element, I think they were called. And the element would you know, do what it, what it sounds like it does. Uh, and uh, and it, would, it would, like, spin around and type things up, and there you go. So they'd rip off the news, and they'd run it to the, the, uh, the DJ, sportscaster, reporter, news anchor, whoever it was, and they'd read the news, literally read the news right off the teletype. And so everybody was reporting pretty much the same thing. Well, nowadays, it's completely different. And so these AM stations that are still doing that, uh, it's old news. It's already been on the internet. It's already been a, you know, probably like a TV or some other news service. So by the time you get to your morning drive time, it's yesterday's news because today's news hasn't happened yet. Yesterday's news was already reported last night. Uh, and so it's, it's a fascinating thing. So I came along, you know, me being different uh, and, and said, uh, I want to do something different. I don't, I don't want to uh, you know, report the news. I want to make the news. <laughs> you want to do what? <laughs> I want to make news. Well, we don't do that in radio. What do you mean you don't do that in radio? I want to make news. How are you going to make news? I'm going to write legislation. What? <laughs> I'm going to write legislation. What, what do you mean? Write what, on the show? Yes. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> you know, and so this is the kind of conversation I have. And, you know, after 400 rejections from, from radio stations, I eventually found WBY. And so the reports that you're hearing uh, when I do my classic interviews from WBY is that magic one year, four months before I was not 
on WBY and mysteriously uh, disappeared and nobody knew what happened except me. <laughs> you know, anyway, I just wasn't there. And so people thought I quit. No, I, no, I didn't quit. Um, but anyway, so I, I those interviews and I, I play them because they're wonderful to, to go back. And what I realized is that the problems back then really haven't changed that much. If anything, they've just gotten worse. Same problems, you know, same hassle, same need for, for citizen legislation, need for you, yes, you, to uh, share our shows and share our bills and become activists. Which brings us to our, our two guests today. So Jonathan Otto, uh, humanitarian, journalist, uh, filmmaker, you know, crusader, biblical scholar. I mean, he's a fascinating guy. And I want to talk to him about that because it, it's always being reaffirmed to me on this show every day that uh, a belief in God and a belief of freedom really go hand in hand. You, you can't have one without the other because in order to free yourself from your, your fellow human, you know, in terms of like, you know, human rights, which means I'll tell you what your rights are. <laughs> you know, the UN will dictate. Uh, but if you want to be free, you have to have a higher power than, than man, uh, which, of course, there is. Right. And so so and God, as we, we talk about all the time, that God wants freedom. And, and that means everything, freedom in your health, you know, freedom in your life, freedom from complications that are unnecessary. You know, I mean, uh, as Wendy and I were talking about yesterday, if you want your life to be really simple, you know, you marry your, your high school sweetheart, you know, you're, you're each other's first person and uh, you stay together. Now, is that a requirement for life? No. You know, does it work out all the time? <laughs> Didn't work out in my case. <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, but that's, that's – and if you do that and follow that biblical path, then your life is much easier. You still have problems. You know, other things can happen. You know, you know life, is, life is a challenge, and it's supposed to be. Um, that's what makes us stronger. You know, that, what, Nietzsche, that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Okay, well, here I am, <laughs> you know, 63 years, you know, after, you know still here. Um, Still on the radio, still doing what I do, even despite the fact that I've heard the word no uh, more times than, than I care to count. <laughs> in fact, I don't think I can. But the point is that you keep going. You keep doing what you do. And Jonathan's one of those folks. And, and Kenneth, Kenneth is really interesting. Kenneth Weeks, who's going to be on in the third hour, uh, he does drones. And drone technology, uh, I'm fascinated by it because it's both unmanned. And so what are they, you know, what's that going to replace in terms of manned or personed? You know, so, so this aircraft is unpersoned. I mean, I envision today, and I'm going to talk to him about this again. I think I mentioned it uh, five years ago when he was on the last time. But the idea that one day that uh, our air forces uh, are going to be all drones. You know, we're going to have airplanes fighting, air, airplane machines will be fighting other airplane machines. They'll be firing missiles at other airplane machines. And so it's going to be a lot of explosions and a lot of war. It's going to be very real. But people aren't going to be there. They can be back in, you know, Indiana on a computer screen, you know, fighting a war, you know, in the China and Taiwan Strait. <laughs> Okay, because that's the kind of technology we have. So it's, it's good that people aren't being killed. Uh, on the other hand, the, the, the more technology is involved, the less humani- humanity is involved. And I'm not, not that I want people killed, but that it, it becomes very impersonal. And it's easy to, you know, have, just to wipe things out uh, by pushing a button as opposed to being there with a the bayonet and doing it yourself. You know, that's the difference between warfare, which was up close and personal and brutal, and, uh, you know, technological warfare, which is distant but still brutal. And so it's very interesting. So we'll see what's going on with drones. Okay, speaking of technology, let's talk about our latest technological failure, the failure of the Brandon insurrection, the failure of Buttigieg, uh, the person that couldn't even manage, you know, roads in South Bend, Indiana. Um, you know, his only claim to fame is that, A, he's gay, but, you know, B, he's got a, a you know, a husband. Uh, and C, he takes a lot of vacations, you know, to do whatever he does. You know, uh, but what, he, what he's not doing is, is working in the transportation department and fixing our transportation. So yesterday, something very interesting happened, and it was a, a, a closure of thousands of flights. 
They were just canceled. Oh, sorry, you can't go. This is this is third world. Trump said third world. Uh, you know, uh, this is not the United States. Things used to work here. So if you think of, and, and Trump was hysterical. He says, you know, when I'm when I was in charge, you know, I told you the airports were bad. I told you, you know, it's like Andy Rooney. That bothers me. I told you the airports were bad. I didn't fix them. And no, they haven't. Uh, they're probably still using vacuum tube technology in some of the uh, the air traffic control centers because the government doesn't innovate. So one of the first bills I wrote way back when was uh, the Department of Innovation. I actually created the bill to the departments I created. And uh, but Greg, you're supposed to make them small. Yes, <laughs> and this is one of the ways to do it. You actually, I have a department, not the Department of Redundancy Department. department. Uh, this was uh, the departments. So two of my very first bills. One was for the uh, Department of Innovation, which I mean, the new Gingrich runs. Other is the Department of Freedom, which I would like, you know, Mike Huckabee, you know, and so. Uh, the Department of Innovation was the was the, the government part, department designed to bring, you know, the government in 22nd century. But Greg, but Greg, we're in the 21st century. Yes, I know that. <laughs> I'm planning ahead. <laughs> okay. If you want to plan ahead in government, you got to plan 100 years ahead. In fact, I like to come up with a model um, of government that does not have bureaucracy in it, that we find a new way to govern. But Greg, you can't do it. We've always had bureaucracy. <laughs> Exactly. So get creative. Let's see if we can get around that. Anyway, so yesterday, um, the uh, the flights were grounded. I'm watching the news, and, they're, they're, and I'm looking at a little bit of fog. I think they showed either LaGuardia in um, International Airport uh, in Washington, D.C. Now, people know this, you know, so let me just fill it. Um, one of the things about airports, when they call them international airports, you think, oh, they must have flights internationally. No, not necessarily. Most of them do, but the uh, international means they have a certain amount of passengers per year. That's what makes it an international airport. Um, if it's really an international airport, it's probably a port of entry. So in other words, it has, it has customs, border patrol, customs and border protection. It used to have, you know, like customs and immigration. Those are the two things. So the customs service, you know, looked at the goods that you brought in, and the immigration department looked at what you brought in, and the Department of Agriculture looked at the plants and, and any, you know, soil and data stuff that you might be bringing in. And you go through each of those checks, you know, when you're around the country. Well, now it's all been put under the Department of Homeland Security, and they have still agents to do all three things, which I think is mindlessly stupid, because each of those, you know, goods, uh, agriculture, and uh, and immigration separate specialties. So, but you know, the government being what it is, uh, they can cry on everybody, and everybody, you know, you have these young super agents that came in and could do could do everything. And that's when, uh, you know, I was actually volunteered because I was customs and border protection. I was hoping to be treasury, you know, be a customs officer, because uh, after 9/11, I wanted to do something too. Well, I was like 42 years old. I was too old for the military. I know. I'm try. <laughs> hey, guys. Yeah, you're too old. Okay, fine. Um, and so then I ended up uh, uh, through some, some wonderful people uh, worked at U.S. Customs. And the problem with that was they said I was too old. And I'm like, why did you let me in, you know, and train me to do all kinds of really wonderful stuff and, you know, put me behind a, a little booth, you know, stamping passports all day? Well, because you're too old. Well, if I was too old, why didn't you tell me that ahead of time and save us all the trouble and a lot of money? Well, they didn't. They needed us. They needed us uh, a mandate, people I called it, for about a year and a half, two years. And that's about a, they're almost two years. And what happened was in that time that these young officers, you know, the 21-year-old wonder kids, you know, were given nine months of training and was given nine weeks of training. Big difference, right? So they came in. Of course, you know, the, the young folks, and they didn't need us older folks. And, and so that was you know, stamping passports. And I said, please, put me somewhere else, anywhere else. And they said, no, uh, you're too old. Okay, well, I'm out of here. <laughs> I can't, I, I'm not going to serve my country stamping passports. Yes, I know that's well, and that's important, but it, it wasn't, it, I just, I was going insane. So, okay, well, that's not going to work. Anyway, so I tried, tried to do my bit, 
didn't quite work out exactly uh, as planned. Anyway, um, I learned about bureaucracy and law enforcement, and I learned about a lot of things in government doing that job and getting some, some pretty rare insights. Uh, but at least I feel I tried. And that's the main thing. But uh, as far as technology goes, government, some of it's really good. Some of the customs and border stuff that I can't tell you about because, you know, I have security clearance. Uh, and I actually honor that still to this day. Uh, pretty good. And so they, they, they managed to get that right. Now, whether they use it correctly, because now you've got, you know, a Marxist insurrection government there, uh, which has great technology and no way of, of knowing how to use it. And I think that's kind of what's going on with Pete Buttigieg and the air traffic control system. And so let me, let me I found an article. Let me tell you what, what you were told uh, as far as the New York Post goes. And then let me tell you what, what I think really happened and, or, or more details. So the New York Post, January 12th. Oh, that, that's today. Uh, this is from uh, January 11th. So yesterday, Yaron Steinbuch. Oh, I think you hear rain out there. Well, we're prone to power failures here. So <laughs> if the show blacks out like it did yesterday, you know, with 20 minutes to go, then um, this is early in the show. So if I have to restart it, I'll restart it. Anyway, it says thousands of delays across the U.S. after FAA system failure grounds flights. Let me check my phone real quick. Let me see if uh, that's just a little bit of rain. A little bit of rain is okay. This, that usually doesn't knock out the power. In fact, I've had thunderstorms that don't knock out the power, and sometimes they just go. No, it says rain for the next uh, – okay, there's no thunderstorms in the forecast until after the show. Good. <laughs> so we should be okay, but, you know, you never know. All right. Thousands of delays across the U.S. after FAA system failure grounds flights. Well, that's something ominous. Yaron Steinbuch, Jack Morfitt, and David Meyer took three people to write this article. That's kind of interesting. So Steinbuch, S-T-E-I-N-B-U-C-H, Jack Morfett, M-O-R-P-H-E-T, and David Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R. So it took all of them to write this thing, FA system failure. Well, what actually failed? <laughs> this is where it gets funny. When I heard about this, I almost fell off my chair laughing. I said, that's it? That's how they grounded the flights? What are you kidding? It says air travelers found, this is the article, right? Air travelers found themselves on the receiving end of the worst national flight shutdown since 9-11 early Wednesday after a nationwide Federal Aviation Administration system failure snarled travel plans and caused travel chaos. <laughs> Sounds pretty ominous, right? <laughs> Next paragraph. The FAA reported an outage with the notice to air missions, which used to be notices to air men, because there are no men in the current uh, branded insurrection, so they have to say notice to air missions or NOTAM, a critical system that relays important information to pilots and airports. So they shut it down because they had a problem with their information. <laughs> that's, that's why they shut down the system. So the worst outage since 9-11 was caused because they, they, uh, they had a little information breakdown. Gee, what if something really bad happened? You know, so, so 9-11 grounded uh, airplanes because two airplanes slammed into the World Trade Center, killed 3,000 people, and we thought we were under terrorist attack and nobody knew where the next uh, shot was going to be. So that makes sense. You ground all the airplanes. I understand that. But because they couldn't get their, their messages, <laughs> this is, they couldn't get their, you know, their, their, their NOTAMs, their, their notices to airmen. Uh, I'm still going to call it notices to airmen. Air missions. Oh, please. Give me a break. We're not on a mission. And then the quote here is, the FAA is working to restore its notice to air mission system. The agency told The Post, that would be the New York Post, in an email early Wednesday. Operations across the national airspace system are affected. FAA tweeted, <laughs> this is a great source of information, right? FAA tweeted that the ground stop was lifted shortly before 9 a.m., but flyers continued to reel from cascading impacts throughout the day. Nearly 8,000 flights were delayed within, into, and or out of the U.S. as of 2 p.m., according to flight tracking website FlightAware. Let me tell you about flow control. <laughs> okay, flow control is a system whereby the computers run the airplanes. 
and they run the schedule. And so what they want to maintain is a constant flow of air traffic, which makes sense. So in the old days, used to take off on, on time. The reason planes took off on time in the old days is because they would, if they got there early and there's a bunch of other planes there, they go into holding pattern and they, they fly in circles until there was time there was for them to land. Well, that's very expensive. It feels, it feels a lot more expensive than it was then. It's 25 pounds then. Now it's like, you know, eight bucks, <laughs> whatever it is for jet fuel. Yes, inflation, I know. Okay, fine. I, I have not taken that into account. Point is, it's many times more expensive than it was. And so you don't want, you know, four engine 707s and holding patterns over airports you know, wasting a bunch of gas, you know, I mean, that's, that's not efficient. And of course the environmentalists would go crazy. They're in a holding pattern. They're flying circles in the sky. They're not even going anywhere, you know, and th that's exactly right. So what they did was they developed radar and then they developed computers and then they developed a system whereby you do not take off until there's space free to land. Okay. Which makes sense. Okay. There's no holding pattern. Well, I mean, they'd still have holding patterns for emergencies, bad weather on, you know, things that come up or, uh, system breakdowns or anything else that can happen. So as an instrument pilot, you still learn how to do a holding pattern. You still learn how to fly a circle in the air, you know, using minimal power. Just kinda, you're just kind of parking, right? Because you're an airplane, you have to keep moving. You can't pull over. And so they still have those, but it's, been, it's a much more efficient system, much more use, efficient use of fuel, and keeps your airline you know, price tickets down because you're not paying the airline to fly your run in circles in a four-engine jet. And so that's a good thing. Anyway, so what happened... You know, then was with flow control. Uh, so, so, but, but they, when they call it the cascading effect, so if, if flights are delayed even for a little bit, well, that, can't, that goes through the whole day because now every flight is delayed. And you, like I said, you can't take off until there's a, there's a spot for you to land. Well, there's no spot for you to land until the previous airplane that was supposed to land ahead of you uh, is down. <laughs> and so they're waiting for their spot to open up. So the holding pattern then goes from the air to the ground which is a lot better, but people walk around at airports and, you know, drink too much coffee or alcohol or things. Oh, don't drink before you fly. It's, it's really bad. That 8,000 foot pressure cabin is not good for you. Anyway, so that's what happens. So they, they hold you up holding you in the air, which is a lot safer, a lot better, and a lot uh, cheaper. And, uh, and that's how it works. So one little, one little glitch in the morning in one airport, you know, especially like a big hub, like Chicago, you know, New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Miami, Houston, uh, Seattle, any of the big hubs, um, Kansas, any, any of the big hub airports, the hub and spoke airports. Uh, if you have a problem there in one of those airports, that affects the whole country. And that's why, because every flight in and out of there uh, is affected by flights across the country and, you know, it all has to work. So if they have a glitch, that's why, you know, you've got to, you've got to keep the, the flow control going. And that's why you can have a, an effect all day from something that happens in the morning. Now here's where it gets funny. <laughs> this is the funny part of the thing. Uh, the NOTAM, the NOTAM system. So what are NOTAMs? Notices to airmen or notice air missions now, right? So NOTAM, he is like uh, a runway light is out or, or a part of the, the instrument landing system on a runway is having a little glitch or the tower beacon, you know, isn't working. So it's going to be harder to find the airport at night, you know, or something you need to know. There's a, there's a, a tower being constructed or, or they have like temporary flight restrictions. You know, the president or the insurrection leader, you know, is giving a campaign speech. And, and so the airspace around that is closed. Those are all notices to airmen. And you get your notices to airmen. You used to get it in, in, in a briefing. So in the old days, when I was learning to fly, you would call up the, uh, an FA, what they had called uh, a flight service station. Well, they don't have that anymore. So there's no personal briefing. So you get it all off a computer. Well, there's your problem, right? So there's no, there's no person. In the old days, you could actually go visit a flight service station. In fact, I did that. And uh, I love talking to the, to the briefers because I say, okay, how much of this is from the computer and how much of this is, you know, your instinct? How much is this based on the fact that you've lived here your whole life and you know the weather perfectly? And it's, well, it's kind of a bit of both. Okay. So they, so they can't do that anymore. They can't put their gut instinct into what's going on. Uh, in fact, I remember in high school, 
I did another high school story. Uh, Bruce Schwegler, who was a newscaster at the time, and this is back in the 70s when I was in high school, uh, came to my school in Lexington, Massachusetts, and I asked him that question. And, you know, I said, because I was taking flying lessons at the time. I mean, nobody knew it. I didn't talk about it. But I said, um, Mr. Schwegler, sir, <laughs> you know, how much of the, of the weather is, uh, is what you get off the computer from the National Weather Service in Kansas, and how much is gut instinct because you, you've lived here? And he found that a really interesting question. He says, yeah, it's a bit of both. It really is. And so you lose that. You lose that gut instinct. You lose the, the human factor when everything comes off a computer because the computer can only do what's programmed into it. And so it gets very interesting. So the NOTAM system. So what could they have done? Well, what they could have done is simply uh, moved the NOTAM system uh, to the briefings or to uh, a different computer system, or they could have done it uh, ground control, could have done it. You know, and because uh, they have access to information too, or what uh, you know, what they can do is what the airport, the airlines could have done, is contact the airports where their planes were flying. You know, do you have any notices? You know that our pilots need to know. Yeah, it would have taken a bit of work, but it wouldn't have it wouldn't have taken a whole long time. And you put it in the air traffic system. So you know, so a flight, uh, so you know, American Airlines flight one two three four, American Airlines flight one two three four here on the ground in Houston, flying to Chicago. You know, are there any uh, notices to airmen for Chicago? And they could have done it right over the ground frequency. You know, it's not like air traffic control. It's ground control. Ground control is a major, Tom. You know, that kind of thing, right? So I said, well, okay, let's look up, let's look up Chicago. Well, yeah, the, um, you know, there's a, there's a new, you know, construction site, you know, five miles uh, southwest of runway 32. Oh, okay. Thank you. You know, uh, that's a notice. That's, and that's all they would have had to do. They just transfer the, infra, the NOCHAM system to ground control uh, or, or do it in flight. You know, or some, or or some, if it's critical, they would have known. You know, or put it on the the duat. You know, the 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 whatever it is. I forgot what that's called. The point being, there were ways around this, but they didn't do it. They just didn't do it because they're morons. <laughs> you know, I, in fact, I just watched three fabulous movies. I, I by uh, this this is you know God intervention in in, in action radio, um, because I, I've got my Roku channel now. So DirecTV is gone because they got rid of One American News, so I get rid of them. Uh, and now I've got this Roku thing, and I still can't get Fox News. I haven't figured out how to do that. But uh, they had movies, you know, free movies, things to search. And, you know, once I get my news in the morning, I want, you know, brain diversion while I'm thinking of, of what to do for the next show. And I came upon five, three films, excuse me, three films from several years ago, 20, 2011 through 2014. And these films were the Atlas Shrugged films. Part one, part two, and part three. Unfortunately, I watched part three first, not knowing because I don't know the story. Now I do. <laughs> Who is John Galt? Well, me. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a John Galt. I'm not the John Galt, but uh, you know, I, you know, I am in some ways, you know, John Galt, like John Galt. You know, in some ways, like Howard Rourke from The Fountainhead. Uh, anybody that's a pioneer, you know, that, that does anything different or anything interesting, um, that's kind of how it works. So yeah, so I, I found these three films fascinating, and it's amazing how accurate they are for what's going on now with uh, the current uh, communist dictatorship that we're under, you know, from the Brandon insurrection and the geldings who have surrendered. Oh yeah. They're making a big noise. Um, well, actually, you know, find out, I'll find out, probably find out for tomorrow, whether the three people they wanted kicked off the committees, you know, Omar, Ilhan Omar, Eric Swalwell, and uh, who's the liar uh, the, you know, the guy I'm thinking of from, uh, yeah, I can see his face. Anyway, I'll think of it. But anyway, hopefully those, those people are actually off the committees. So the big test for Kevin McDeepstate is whether he's going to actually do what he says he's going to do. Uh, and uh, that we're going to find out. All right, so there's your explanation for yesterday. A little long, a little, little comedic, but that's, that's what happened. So it's now 727, which actually used to be a Boeing airplane. And so I'm going to take a break here for just a bit. And I'm going to come back. I want to do part two of the article I started yesterday uh, from Dick Morris. That's absolutely brilliant. 
on why, you know, how the left got power, what they're doing, and how they're doing what they're doing. And so it's, it's a, quite a fascinating thing. Well, since we're talking airplanes, let me uh, talk about my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. You know, if you think I'm sarcastic now, you should read this one. I, I wrote this when I was 32 years old, all right? So it's like, yeah, you're coming up on the 30th anniversary next uh, Or is it this? No, wait a minute. Well, a publication. I wrote it in 92. It was published in 94. So next year will be the 30th anniversary of The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction, you know, my very sarcastic and brutal uh, treatment of what's wrong with flight training and how to fix it. And fortunately, they listen. They just don't give me credit for it. You know, but uh, it, each, each time I renew my flight instructor certificate, which you do every two years, you know, I see something go, oh, I know where that is. I know that. I know. I wrote that in, in, wrote that in, in 90, 1992. Hey, good, good job, guys. It's about time you caught on. But I don't get credit for it. You know, there's a lot of things I don't get credit for. But uh, as long as, the, you know, I try to sort of tell myself, as long as the work gets done, as long as, the, you know, the goal is achieved, then it's a good thing. Yeah, but, you know, my petty size is, you know, I really like a little recognition here. All right. I'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. 
or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. You know, it's really amazing. I, I sit here and I push buttons and I make these things, you know, in my spare time, <laughs> which is, you know, all, all the rest of the time. I have more affiliates coming. Uh, Health Secrets uh, is another affiliate we just joined recently. And so they all have the same discount code, WYL. So uh, MyPillow and Grace Care and Strikeforce Energy Drinks and Health Affiliates, uh, they're, all, they're all under WYL. So if you want to help us and, uh, you know, shop for some amazing products, that's the way to do that. If you want to help us directly, givesendgo.com slash actionradio. That's give sendgo.com slash action radio. Uh, that's our, our, our site. And we're hoping to uh, start to get some real contributions there so I can spread the word of what we do. You know, we've got the bills. We've got the vaccine product liability. We've got the big tech censorship bill that ends in censorship. You know, we've got a, a, a bill, a constitutional amendment to stop Congress from borrowing money. You know, all the things that Republicans should be doing, we're doing. <laughs> and we're doing it better and, and, and more comprehensively and a lot stronger uh, than what the geldings are coming up with and the gelding old party. And so that's kind of cool. Uh, again, live chat is live. So if you want to type in a message, go to the bottom of your broadcast page, log in, and you can type anything to me from anywhere in the world. And we also have the Skype line. And all the instructions are right there in front of you on your broadcast page. So it's easy to find this stuff. All right. So something happened yesterday. And uh, actually, the day before, I, I was reading some, some articles. Oh, actually, I was listening to a, a Dick Morris newscast, which he does on Newsmax. And he's probably the, the best person on there. So it is like a half hour thing. I think it's 6.30 Central Time on Saturdays. And he said the Democrats, everything the Democrats are doing is intentional, which we knew, but nobody's saying it. I'm saying it. Uh, but I don't have the reach of Dick Morris. But when he says the Democrats love inflation, you know, because uh, it's, it makes the deficit look better. They, they can pay it off. If they keep reducing the value of money, you know, a million dollars, you know, uh, of, of debt, uh, you know, at the day you, you incur the debt, uh, if if your if your dollar devalues, you know, ten percent, well, that's only nine hundred. It's like the, that that original dollar's value is nine hundred thousand. So you've actually gained a hundred thousand dollars through loss of the value of the money. So you're still paying a million dollars, but the million dollars isn't worth as much as it was. It's only worth nine hundred thousand because of inflation. So you're actually saving money. Well, imagine that over trillions of dollars. So so the Democrats love inflation. They also hate energy. They they hate you know cheap and abundant energy. Can't stand it. You know, they want wind and solar. Why? Because they don't want you to have freedom. It's got nothing to do with the environment. You know, climate change is, is just a vehicle to socialism. And so, so the, the, the wacko left, you know, they, they want you in electric cars um, because the government can manage it. The, all the utilities, all the electric utilities are government controlled. 
you know, once you have those smart meters, they can, they can meter your power. So once everybody is fully electric, that's why they're going after gas stoves, because then you, then you can't cook. You, you can't, you know, eat independently. You have to have government food when the government wants you to have food, you know, according to a government electric stove with so much power, and that's it. You're going to have so much power for your car, so much power for your stove, so much for your refrigerator, so much for your water heater, and that's it, you know. And, and everything's going to be rationed and controlled by the masters in government who think they know everything. Well, that's a direct attack on your freedom, but that's why they do it. And the other one is illegal aliens. Dick Morris says that the, 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 uh, the insurrection loves illegal aliens because that's who, the only people who are going to vote for him. You know, he says they've lost the Hispanic vote. You know, this, this is good, you know, American loyal, uh, patriotic Hispanics of generations worth. You know, see, the Republicans were under this delusion. And we called it at the time several years ago that said, well, we have to have illegal aliens or the or American Hispanics won't vote for us. Well, there's nothing of the sort. That's like saying white people won't vote for you unless you have Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, in office. <laughs> you know, the guy that killed a bunch of people and uh, became a cannibal. You know, that's the, you know, white people don't go around saying, well, gee, I'm really for Adolf Hitler because he's white. That's a bunch of nonsense. You know, you look at two people, Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler. They're both white. That's the only thing they have in common. Everything else is, you know, good versus evil. And so, uh, so the idiots that were looking at uh, the, the racists and, and the gelding old party, they were saying, well, we've we got to get the Hispanic vote and we have to have illegal aliens or we'll alienate the Hispanics. And nothing could be further from the truth because, first of all, you know, Hispanic, Latin American folks, you know, Central South American people that come here legally, the last thing they want is a bunch of illegals from the same country, <laughs> you know, and for the same reasons. That they want to be loyal, good Americans, and uh, you know we can disagree on policy and government and things like that. But the thing is, if you come here to be an American, come on in, you know, legally. If you come here just to take stuff away and send it home, no, I don't want you. But the Democrats want illegal votes, no energy uh, for your freedom. Uh, they want all the power under uh, electricity so they can meter it to you, and they want uh, massive inflation so that they're so they can keep borrowing into into economic suicide. And that's basically what Dick Morris is saying. It's pretty fascinating. Anyway, so I started an article yesterday. Uh, it says, how did the left acquire so much power? Acquire such power, excuse me. Uh, he wrote it January 2nd. So it's only uh, a week, week and a half old. Uh, I'm going to put a comment at the bottom of this article after the show, and I want to get him back on the show. I want to get him back on the show, but I want to get him on the show. I mean, Dick Morris would be a fascinating person to talk to, and I'm really curious what his reaction would be to Action Radio and our citizen legislation, particularly the big ones. Disarming the federal bureaucrats, a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money, and the other two big ones, vaccine product liability and ending big tech censorship, both of which can be done with minimal changes in law. It's staggering how, how little you have to actually change in law to bring about the desired effect. Sometimes as little as one word, it makes all the difference, from, from shall not to shall in the case of vaccine product liability. So I went through the problems in great detail yesterday over the course of an hour. I think it was the second hour of the show. Uh, it was fascinating. And I came up against, uh, um, you know, a time wall. <laughs> the show was over. And actually what happened, and then we had um, Diane Warner with the election integrity report. Uh, and then we had a power failure. And so I lost the last 20 minutes of the show. Not that I would have gone back to this anyway. So the, the, we presented the problems yesterday. So go back to yesterday's show in the second hour and you'll get the problems. I'm going to pick it up today, sort of a part two, where he says how to counter cultural Marxism. So the last paragraph in the first section that I covered yesterday Cultural Marxism has no room for the individual. It doesn't matter who gets the Nobel Prize or the gold medal or who becomes president or who gets what financial reward. The cohort must move up or down together with its unity powered by a common sense of victimization and a resulting tribal demand for unity. A sprinkling of success stories doesn't matter. 
So in other words, uh, the difference between cultural Marxism and, and economic Marxism, he explains early in the article. So, so the quick definition is classic Marxists want to control, quote, the means of production, the factories, the goods, the services, the farms, the agricultural, uh, agriculture, any good or service that's produced, if the government controls it, it's going to work out better. Well, millions of dead people from starvation uh, have proven otherwise, but they still think that this is the way to go. You know, and they still think it'll work, even though overwhelming evidence has proved otherwise that uh, classic communism and Marxism results in the deaths of hundreds of millions of people. So I think that's that's a uh, that's reason enough not to adopt it. But anyway, that's economic Marxism. So in other words, or, or classical Marxism, controlling the means of production, the goods in society, the the surplus goods, the the profits, the the money, controlling everything that that produces. Okay, that's what they 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 want to achieve. Now, cultural Marxism is completely different. In cultural Marxism, they control the information. So big tech, social media, regular media, uh, Google search engines, things like that. Anything that you need you know, to function in society these days in terms of information, the information superhighway, uh, they, they control it. And that's cultural Marxism. They will have cancel culture. They have suppression. We're suppressed constantly. You know, I'm under my third consecutive 90-day suspension you know, for saying something six months ago that Facebook didn't like. Okay. Well, I say things Facebook doesn't like every day, but who cares? It's not their, that's not their, uh, um, their, their province, their ability, their jurisdiction to tell me what to say on Facebook because they're open to the public. And there's something called public accommodation, which means if you're open to the public and you provide a social media service, then I can say anything I want unless I'm saying something illegal. And that goes for anybody. You know, you can't threaten a public official. You can't, you know, engage in, in certain, you know, violent, you know, speech and things like that. But it's very limited. That's what you can't do. And there are laws. There are libel and slander and, uh, you know, threatening public officials and, and those kind of laws. And that's about it. Everything else, you know, they have to post. Child pornography, you can't post that, okay? Uh, and so things, that, but that's all it's the law enforcement to enforce that, not, not social media. And that's what my big tech bill is all about. Anyway, so the cultural Marxists control the information. You look at COVID. COVID was a crisis of information, you know, which created fear, which created, which allowed for government policies that were blatantly obviously unconstitutional and people went along with it because they didn't have the information that it was so blatantly unconstitutional. Okay. So the problem with COVID was not the virus. The virus was a minimal part of the problem. The real problem was the control of the information by the, the big tech government, uh, big pharma fascist cabal. That was the problem. So let me pick it up here on how to put cultural Marxism. Dick Morris says leftists have laid the groundwork for their offensive against our culture by following the advice of Herbert Marcuse, don't know who that is, but I have to look them up uh, or him up, M-A-R-C-U-S-E, to, quote, take a long march through cultural institutions and gatekeepers. He says, now we must retrace their steps in their long march to counter and offset their propaganda in each of the institutions they have corrupted. That would be the entire education system, uh, the entire media, uh, the, the entire entertainment industry. Uh, these are the things that the left has captured, and we need them back. That's just as simple as that. I'm trying to do that here, and uh, the more you share the show, the more successful we will be in doing that. Um, for example, the legislature, a brand new idea, is completely suppressed. The last thing the powers that be want is people thinking, not, not just writing the laws that we consent to be governed by, but even thinking we can write the laws that we consent to be governed by. This is a revolution. This is a revolution of thought. This is a revolution of the mind. This is a, a revolution of human potential. It's not violent. There's nothing violent that we do here. You know, it's all done on computers. You know, it's all information. So we're engaged in a, in a cultural Marxist information war 
with those that want to take away your freedom and those of us here at Action Radio and other places that want to restore it and get it back to you. So it's pretty simple. If you want freedom, you know, then uh, join us. If, if you want to... Uh, you know, tyranny, terrorism, Marxism, gulags, and, and the deaths of hundreds of millions of people, join them. It's a pretty simple choice, really. Anyway, back to the article. He says, but before we begin our, our own long march, let's realize that our best defense against the evils of cultural Marxism is our own spirited and voluble opposition to its tenets. Yeah, that's, we talk about that every day. Once we have understood its roots and grasped the extent of its branches, we can prune it back and ultimately uproot this dangerous weed. <laughs> nice metaphor there, Dick. He says, in our free society, we cannot use government to police entertainment or, in most cases, news reporting. It is for us, the marketplace, to do so. <laughs> Dick, I'm trying. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> you know, he says, we have already so manifested our displeasure with CNN, for example, the, the communist control news network is what I call them, uh, that we have driven its ratings into the dust and are forcing important changes. See, that's true. People forget that. CNN, of course, without Donald, they say it's without Donald Trump, but CNN is not a, is not, uh, you know, uh, what was it originally called? CNN, uh, something for news, uh, something that uh, I called, I used to call it the creative news network. Now it's the communist news network, but I, I forget what the C stood for. Central news network, whatever it is, whatever it stood for. CNN used to be news. They actually reported news. Then they took over all the airports. You've got to get CNN out of the airports and put one American news uh, in the airports, you know, assuming they can get their no-ten system working. <laughs> Sorry. But that's it. So, so because of the marketplace, the market has destroyed CNN because it's not offering a product that people want. I think we are offering a product here that is far superior to CNN, but we're being suppressed. So there's the, they call that in economics uh, a barrier to entry. So for Action Radio and our citizen legislature, there is a huge barrier to entry into the marketplace. So, so nobody knows how well we will do in a free market because there is no free market for Action Radio. There just isn't. That's where you come in. Share the shows, share the bills. I'm going to keep saying that and hoping that the more and more people will. Uh, it's, I think it's a, you know, once we get our lucky break, then it's going to take off and people go, oh, Action Radio, I'm going to share the show and share the bills. No, you need to do it now. <laughs> don't, don't wait till we're world famous. We're going to get world famous, but we'll get there a lot faster. Uh, if you help us out now, but that's the marketplace and I'm fine with the market. You know, let me compete. Let me compete with, with our people and our ideas on an equal footing to CNN. And if they're bigger and better and we're smaller, I, I have no problem. That. I accept that completely. What I completely reject is the fact that we do not have access to the market at all. Like barely. I mean, I'm here, you know, and certain people have found us, but uh, there's nowhere near the amount that would, uh, if there was a free market and social media were open to our posts and people could share our posts, see our posts, you know, share the shows, see the shows and everything else. So we have a, we have a, a, a cultural, mar I'm trying to compete, you know, against a cultural Marxist controlled media market. That's where we are. Then he says, in our free society, we cannot use government to police entertainment or in most cases, news reporting. I already said that. Okay, fine. Next paragraph. But our vigilance must extend further and we must direct our purchasing dollar to the companies and vendors who are willing to stand up against cultural Marxism and to say no. Again, that would be Action Radio. And that's where we have our, our givesendgo.com slash Action Radio. We have a new uh, a place where you can donate to us. And uh, yeah, I give a portion to them too. So anyway, um, but uh, that's what you want to do. You know, givesendgo.com slash Action Radio. If you believe in what we're doing, that's the way that you can help us compete in the marketplace. Share the show, share the bills. It doesn't cost you anything. You know, I, I, we put these out. And so that will help us compete in the marketplace against the cultural Marxists. So what uh, DeMora says is on TV, we should watch Newsmax. Well, that's because he's on Newsmax. I, I also go to One American News. Uh, I like to get Fox News just for the comedy. 
<laughs> but occasionally they have good reports, especially uh, Tucker. So he says we should watch Newsmax. He says home improvements and repairs, use Home Depot. Pillows and bedding, he says you know the answer. Of course, that's Mike Lindell. Uh, we're an affiliate of Mike Lindell, WYL. So anytime you go to anything My Pillow, use WYL, write your laws. You know, WYL is our discount code, and that'll get you a discount, and that'll help Action Radio. So there's another way you can help. Totally. And then, of course, you can buy my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. That'll help, too. That'll improve the flight system as well, yeah. especially the no-tams, <laughs> which I explained because it's been around for a while. Then he says, but there is much we can do through government action to level the playing field with the cultural Marxist. And then again, Action Radio has the answer. Our bill on big tech, our big tech censorship bill takes, uh, gives them liability immunity for anything that anybody posts or anybody's account. So they're not responsible for what you do on social media and your use of search engines. Where they lose their liability immunity is if they touch anything that you do on social media or they touch anything on search engines regarding arranging the, uh, the results, algorithms, things like that. If they touch your account, if they touch your post, or if they touch anything beyond the raw number of hits you know, for a particular subject, uh, then they lose their liability immunity and they can be sued. And collectively being sued across the country, both regionally, locally, and nationally, uh, will control big tech. And it's all done by the free market, the free market of, of ideas in the courts. So you go to the court and say, I, I've been, in fact, I have a lawsuit. I've already written it up. I'm hoping to join uh, Robert Francis Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy's uh, uh, lawsuit, you know, with, uh, against big tech and against uh, the, the major news networks for the simple reason that I've been suppressed. I mean, how many of you have heard of our vaccine product liability legislation? No? <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> That's the suppression. So what the government can do. Uh, and what you can do is take to the government our big tech censorship bill. It's right at writeyourlaws.com. So writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. Go to legislation, menu bar. Click on that. Skip down two to, uh, to the third one, all proposed laws. Click on that, and you'll see vaccine product liability. You'll see an Australian Bill of Rights. You will see a bunch of things. And so that's what... Uh, uh, we have the, the, the big tech bill and, of course, all kinds of other things there. Our constitutional amendment, taking the power of Congress to borrow money, uh, many things like that. I'm just a little paranoid right now because it's raining. <laughs> I don't want the show to blip out. So hopefully if I make good things and, you know, um, ask for a little divine providence to keep us broadcasting, that uh, we can keep going here. Okay. Uh, it's just into, uh, so the last part, there's another section here, colleges and universities. It's a good thing we have guests coming at the top of the hour because I'm getting tired of talking. <laughs> you try talking for an hour without, without much of a break. It's, it's, it's not easy. Anyway, so he said, but I love doing it. So, you know, hey. He, then he says, colleges and universities. We must start where Marcuse started, in colleges and universities, lately transformed into hotbeds of cancel culture and wokeness. Never understood the word woke. You know, it's like, are you woke? You mean, in other words, did I wake up? <laughs> you know, it's, it's like past tense. And it should be past tense completely. It should be in the past. He says, uh, says, to start where Marcus started, colleges and universities, he says, to do so, we must wield the power of the federal government extensively. We will never root out woke hegemony over our higher education system. And stemming from that, our future opinion leaders without federal power. I agree. First thing you do is get the student loan uh, business out of the federal government, make it a private business again, and have people actually pay back their loans. You made the loan, you pay it back. End of conversation. He says, there's no reason to transcend the limits set by the First Amendment. But we must use the vast and expensive uh, network of federal aid, subsidies, contracts, loans, and scholarships that undergird, 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 excuse me, undergird the financial base of the leftist higher educational institutions to counter the counterculture. 
<laughs> That'd be a great banner. Counter the counterculture, <laughs> you know, question authority. He says the precedent of the anti-segregation uh, mandates under the federal civil rights law that forced integration is federally aided uh, in federally aided school districts clearly show a path to regulate education constitutionally and legally. I may disagree with him on this. I'm going to have to read this over a little more carefully and think about it. He says, we need to insist that federal student aid and spending on higher education and university research and consulting contracts follow an America first MAGA agenda. Well, I would take that all out of the colleges. You know, if you want to have a grant, grants should be independent and private. You know, the, the government issuing grants, you know, means that the, the things get studied that the government wants to study. Climate change. <laughs> okay. There's, there's, there's billions upon billions of dollars for climate change, even though it's a bogus theory. But it gets studied because people who want those government grants, you know, will say anything that the government wants them to say in order to get the grant so they can keep working. It's really a horrible system. It's, it's not based on truth. It's based on, uh, on propaganda and policy and enforcing it with billions of dollars to come up with evidence for the propaganda uh, and the policy. He says also require, require that institutions receiving federal uh, aid assure that faculty and administrative appointments and tenure decisions uh, in must, um, decisions in must balance, I think it's a misprint, must balance ideological and partisan views to present a true diversity of opinion. I don't know how you require that. Uh, if it's free speech, it's free speech. I'm not sure how. Because what if uh, an institution, Oakdale College, which doesn't take any government money, and that's why, you know, if they present a, a, a constitutionally conservative, patriotic, pro-American agenda, should they be forced to accept liberal, liberal professors that are total Marxists? No. People go to Hillsdale specifically because of the ideology. They go to Brigham Young specifically because of uh, the ideology and the religion. They go to Harvard because it's a Marxist institution and because it'll get them a good job. You know, it's fascinating how this works, but that's how it works. And the fifth thing he says, among federally funded institutions, ban ideological bias in PhD dissertation topics and require that they reflect a full range of views and opinions so we can turn out new faculty unencumbered by cultural Marxism. Yeah, he's, he's doing it piecemeal, but I've got a better way, I think. At least I hope so. Uh, and that is that you put uh, ideology uh, in the Civil Rights Act. So that, uh, see, I, I tend to, these people tend to come up with all these, you know, smaller, like, part solutions. But they don't have like an overall. And I think that's the difference with what I try to do at Action Radio is that when I bring about something, it's an overall. And the overall is you add the word ideology to the Civil Rights Act. You put gun ownership in there, too. <laughs> you know, so gun ownership becomes a civil right. It's, it's, already, it's already a constitutional right, but it should, be, it should be a civil right, too. So not only could you, could you not advocate against um, gun ownership, you know, because it's in the Constitution, uh, you, you, it would it'd be a massive change. But let's just talk about ideology for a minute. So if ideology were a civil right, you couldn't, uh, you know, persecute, prosecute. Uh, you couldn't do a lot of things to uh, uh, various professors. You couldn't do it to speakers. You know, leftists could not shout down, you know, speakers they disagree with because ideology would be a protected right. Okay. It'd be part of, I think I shouted then. Protected right in terms of free speech. So wouldn't that be interesting? So all you have to do is add the word ideology. So instead of going through all this rigmarole and all these different steps and all these different problems and things, we just uh, write a simple bill that adds the word ideology anytime that they're the normal rights that they have in, well, not the normal, but the ones that are already established. Usually it's, it's age, race, sex, uh, gender. Uh, well, that's the same thing. You know, age, race, sex, uh, national origin, um, ethnicity, things like that. And then they added pregnancy status and some other things uh, to the, the Civil Rights Act. But I want to add ideology and gun ownership. And those two would take care of a whole lot of problems just for those two words. You know, and then the Civil Rights Commission would be charged with enforcing uh, that ideology is not uh, discriminated. It's not segregated. Wouldn't that be interesting? 
So there's my answer. So you can go through all this other stuff. You just privatize education, stop the government giving grants of, of any kind, have it done through private research institutions and corporations. You know, corporation wants research for, uh, for a new thing that they're calling a vaccine. Go ahead, spend the money. You know, and, and you can even make a tax deductible. I don't care. But the corporations should spend the money because the, you know, they, they're responsible for doing the market research and the development of their products. So the government should not be responsible for developing products. That's the problem. They should not be responsible for student loans. In fact, the government's only responsible for, you know, the federal government, Article 1, Section 8. It's really kind of interesting. Then we've got here elementary and secondary education. I'm going to finish this before uh, Jonathan Otto shows up because he'll be here in about four minutes. <laughs> How much do I have to go? Fortunately, not too much more. Okay, so here we go. Elementary and secondary education. Public schools have become the super spreaders of the pandemic of cultural Marxism. Through their curricula, teaching personnel, union rules, and administrative bias, they assure that our children are put through a ringer to make them conform to the dictates of work ideology. Woke, excuse me. No, he said work, work ideology. I think he meant woke. Anyway, he says, to counter this trend, we must enact federal legislation requiring that all school districts, as a precondition of federal funding, create a comprehensive voucher system where the funds allocated to public education also be equally available to students in private, church, parochial, and home schooling. I got a better idea. Limit, eliminate, excuse me, eliminate all government education and go to a full voucher system so that all the tax dollars that are, are you know, earmarked or allocated for education go into a voucher system. And a conversation, you know, a lot simpler. He says we should demand that public schools receive, receiving federal funds not uh, bias hiring or tenure decisions based on political views or partisan affiliation. Well, that will only happen if you get rid of the government schools because that will get rid of the government school unions, the teachers' unions. And that's how you do it. So he's got the right idea. I just don't think he goes far enough. And we'll, that's something I, I want to talk to uh, with Dick Morris about that. He says also, uh, he says, as a condition of federal funding, we must apply to elementary and secondary education the same rules we suggest for higher education institutions. Agreed. In all public school boards uh, that receive federal funding, we should require that a majority of the members be parents of students actually and currently enrolled in the schools they administer and that these parents be elected by other parents with no outside participation by unions, teachers, or administrators. Okay, that's going to be hard to do, but I have a simple simple thing. Stop federal funding for public schools. <laughs> that eliminates that problem, all right? So he's piecemeal. Let's, let's get the Dick Morris. Let's get the big picture here, all right? Then he says in all public school boards uh, – I already said that. I'm sorry. He said we should require uh, of all federally aided schools no literature or school curricula promote or encourage transsexuality, which I believe doesn't exist. And I think that's just a political movement, but it's not a real thing because no, you cannot be transsexual. You're male or you're female, and you're either as God intended you to, you know, when you were born or – you are, you know, mutilated by surgery or destroyed by chemicals. And that's, that's, what, that's what it is. So this is, you know, gender dysphoria. It's a mental issue. Get counseling. Get help. Figure out or just grow up. Take some time to grow up. But don't mutilate yourself and chemically, uh, you know, uh, sterilize yourself, you know, just because of some woke agenda. That's the problem. All right. Enough on that. So he says transsexuality or gender change without explicit written permission of the parents. 18 years old, you know, wait till you're an adult. Then he says all school athletic programs that uh, operate with federal funds must separate trans athletes from others in all competitions, creating three lanes for competition, male, female, and trans. I disagree. There is no such thing as trans. You're male or female. So you compete. I don't care what you've done to yourself. You can either play the sport or you can't. But if you're male genetically or female genetically, that's where you compete. So I disagree with him here. Well, he's a Democrat. He used to work for the Clintons. Come on, you know, he's not perfect. 
Then he said, but he's brilliant. <laughs> anyway, he said, and then we must ban the teaching of such creations of the left as critical race theory and the 1619 historical project. Agreed. Last little bit here, almost done. I've got one minute. <laughs> he says, limiting the power of social media. Cultural Marxism spread through social media to all parts of our nation. We must treat social media platforms as utilities, granted their quasi-monopoly status in return for obedience to certain rules. Disagree. Just make their liability conditional. Oh, I've got to talk to him. Uh, then he says, former President Donald Trump, excuse me, current President Donald Trump, laid out a sweeping agenda to use government power to restore free speech in his address of December 15th, 2022, where he called for amending Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act to permit a private right of action, including lawsuits by state attorney generals against social media platforms to enforce political neutrality and prohibit partisan bias or censorship. My bill does that better. <laughs> Banning any federal employee or contractor from attempting to restrict free speech by calling it disinformation or misinformation without proof. My bill does that better. Prosecuting, as Trump proposed, all parties involved in the new online censorship regime and probing for, quote, possible violations of federal civil rights law, campaign finance laws, federal election law, securities law, and antitrust laws, the Hatch Act, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My bill does that, too. <laughs> okay. So I do all these things. And so it's, uh, it's something we're going to talk about. All right. I think I've got my guest here. I'm just going to make sure because he's calling in from a different number. So let's, let's, uh, let's find out if my, my guest of this hour, um, Jonathan Otto, is that you? That is me. Cool. So you're calling in from a different, you're actually calling in from what looks like a block number on my board, but I just want to make sure it's you. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? You, you caught me in the middle of a big rant. Oh, that's great. That's, that's good to I like that. We got we got to we got to have you ranting, Greg. That's a good thing. Well, I keep ranting. First of all, uh, it's a pleasure to to meet you. I didn't. I have to confess. Um, I do honesty way too much. I did not know who you were until uh, you know my secret agent told me about you, and I said, "Wow, this is this guy's cool." And the more I researched, the more I looked into what you do. Uh, it's like you know you're one of us. You're, you're you're a crusader, and it's it's fascinating. So. I've got your story. I've got, I've read, you know, your websites. I've got a bunch of stuff. Why don't you just tell your story? If you wanted to introduce yourself to our, our citizen legislative uh, audience, where, where would you like to begin? Oh, that is amazing. That's awesome. And look, I love, I love the work you're doing, Greg. It's fantastic. And I was actually just corresponding with uh, Dr. Henry Ely with the grand jury petition. I was um, helping him with a, a couple of the steps of that with, um, you know, coming to the submission of it and the, mm-hmm. um, the publicity, uh, the, the publicity around it with the and, and, and connecting with the senators and, and so forth. So it's just it's great that you're you're doing the work you're doing. So my background, I'm an investigative journalist and mm-hmm. I I have been covering d- disease reversal for the past 10 years. And, uh, like, you know, when it, going back to projects like The Truth About Cancer, where I was a producer on the project and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, other projects like the truth about vaccines, I believe it was around five or six years ago when we did that. And it's all, it's all been a, a mission, a quest to get the information out to people, to help people navigate these times. It, uh, really, in, in some ways, to, to help people not only thrive, but actually to survive. And so I've uh, been working with a lot of doctors, scientists, and educating people on all kinds of disease reversal protocols to get to the bottom of what's happening with these disease processes and help people reverse chronic disease from cancer to autoimmune disease to vaccine injuries. And so I'm using my skills in investigative journalism and connection with uh, the emphasis on medical and uh, health-related 
uh, subjects to, to help people uh, get the recoveries they're looking for so they can live their lives. I'm a family man. I'm a husband. I have two children, two young boys that are between eight, four and an, a year and a half years old. And I know what mm-hmm. health means and I know how it connects to happiness. And so I'm willing to fight for humanity and for every other family out there that needs help right now. This is fascinating. And you use the term that I use a lot too, which is vaccine injury. And so, first of all, yep. we, we, you're, you're among friends here, so you can speak very plainly and bluntly, you know, and I talk about uh, Dr. Good. Fascist, you know, Dr. Fascist, you know who I'm talking about, right? So I, I uh, yeah, with I his name. Exactly. exactly. You, know, yeah, you, know, exactly. you know what the word Fauci means in Italian? No. What does it mean? Sickle. Oh, that's fascinating. So the Grim Reaper. That yeah. is fascinating. Uh, Sky. Scythe is scythe or sickle, and the Grim Reaper, I believe, he has a scythe and the sickle. There's yep. a slight difference in the length of the handle, but but it's it's very much associated with that. And and again, if if you're talking about the possibility of secret societies, they they mm-hmm. can choose names uh, for certain purposes, which would also mean you're you're kind of born into a role that you. Uh, uh, I, look, it's beyond me. I, I don't really have the information on that. Like, why would somebody have that name? I don't know. It's crazy. That's a good question. Well, well, Stalin changes. Stalin is Russian for steel, so he wasn't born, you know, yeah. Joseph Steel. He was born something else. But I call I call Doctor Fascist the uh, genocidal, psychopathic, avaricious, narcissistic, pathologically lying vaccine drug pusher. That's his full title. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that's it's. All of those titles are correct. I mean, they're very accurate. Yeah. They, they should, he should put them on his resume. Yeah. So I want to talk about vaccines because something, something is missing in the story. Now, my daughter was born in, in the mid-90s, and there was a vaccine. There was an anti-vaccine movement then. So people say, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm for this. I am an anti-vaxxer. I did not. My kid was given things against, you know, you know, my will, and we pulled out of that healthcare system completely at that time. Uh, and so, but, but this has been going on for a while. What happened to the 90s movement against vaccines and that it came back and all of a sudden everybody was for them? I think there's like a missing part of the story here. Have you looked into that? Oh, that's, that's a really great question. Look, I think, I think that you've, you've got a good handle on that. I, I was born in 1986 and, mm-hmm. and yeah, like, I mean, you, you look at the research on, on the, the pushing of vaccines. It's, this is a, multi-century battle this goes back to the 1800s um in in america for example mm-hmm. and and you have but but yeah like in terms of to come and answer your question around what happened there well it's it's such a good question like that yes the, you know 1986 you've got the 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 bill the act that was to to strip the pharmaceutical companies of their liability uh, mm-hmm. you see you're seeing multiple things happen at once. You're seeing more injuries happen, but you're also seeing the advent of certain parts of media and be so prolific. And the, you know, the gods of society uh, like celebrities and talk show hosts uh, then get more and more captured by pharmaceutical agencies uh, and, and companies and just these conglomerates that own so much. And then you're actually, mm-hmm. so you're seeing a propaganda machine get so developed over the last 20 years, 30 years. So, I mean, that I think answers your question. That propaganda machine I think is critical because it's just the gaslighting and the, you can do a lot with, with, a, with a little lie told enough times 
communication is is so powerful unfortunately it can override the reality of the fact of people looking at their injured children and trying mm -hmm. to tell their friends and family but you, you can still override that if if people don't have the fortitude and, and moral compass, compass to be able to navigate what they're seeing. Do you think people are, are afraid of their own judgment and their own opinion and their own conscience and their own gut instincts? Because that's what it seems to me that the, the whole propaganda machine is designed to take away, you know, what I call the reason and logic filter. So everything that comes through here comes through me, gets on the show, goes through my reason and logic filter. Does it make sense? Is this, this possible? Yeah. Is this probable? Is this logical? And I think, and I just thought of this just now, but uh, you'd be the perfect person to ask, have you seen that people in this process of, of fear have really separated themselves from their own judgment. They don't even trust their own judgment. They rely on, quote, experts, and those experts are lying to them, and they don't have the courage to, to challenge those experts, you know, and say so that, that when the experts talked about the, what I call the remdesivir ventilator death march, you know, and so you go to the yeah. hospital and, and, and you're killed by the hospital. I have a, our webmaster was killed in the hospital. You know, on the same exact wow. thing. Oh, so this, this affects me personally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've 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 lost yeah. friends. Uh, so this is this is definitely personal for me. But the thing is, but and, and I think, why would you do that? You know, why would you believe these people because they call having experts? You mean Dr. Fascist hasn't seen a patient in decades, if if he ever saw him at all. He's not a virologist. He has no advanced degree. He has a basic medical degree. The only thing he's an expert in is bureaucracy. So why is it somehow yeah. that people are afraid to challenge the so-called experts and use their own good judgment? I don't know. I'm so curious. true. Oh, look, I know that there, that's a, an amazing question because if you could answer that, if you could help people with that, if humanity could lead to the right position there, you could basically prevent the next uh, compliance to a pandemic that would mm -hmm. lead to an actual pandemic. You, you see, so you, you would, you'd be able to solve that. I think that you have some good points there in terms of people losing trust of their own judgment. Uh, I do actually think that the biggest part of it is something deeper that okay. that operates in a very much in a moral realm and a spiritual realm in the sense that, for example, uh, there. Are, OK, for, for starters, uh, Greg, I, I don't know how aware you are of your personal shadow or the darkness or evil that you may personally like battle with in order to do good and to be good uh mm -hmm. and but that no, that thing is the well I, yeah. i'm saying it's, it's a missing link because for example if somebody's not as aware of their shadow they don't realize that there are certain darker motivations behind why they're willing to turn the blind eye to certain things so i'm saying that the biggest thing that influences poor judgments is a lack of a lack of empathy, compassion over those that, over over the suffering and the the shadows of the of the world, which is a shadow within us, a darkness within us personally, that is mm -hmm. so apt to turn the blind eye to something. So, and then and then what happens is that it it just only matters if it, it impedes with my pleasure, with my hedonism, with my pursuit of of. But, but I, if it's not that, then subconsciously, the reason why it's, it's an easier thing for me to then uh, like believe in like a pharmaceutical drug pusher, they can just tell me, just take this pill. So I don't have to change anything about my life. I don't have to change my diet. I don't have to change my thoughts. I can just keep on with my sensual um, hedonistic living. 
Uh, and then I'm not saying that that means that everyone is doing the 70s movement. When I say he, I'm just saying that people are disconnected from anything that would that would make them um, come out of whatever comfort is to them. And so it, it would take a little bit longer to explain why I th- why I think exactly that. But I I think it all I has time. to do with a different realm. We can realm. come back. <laughs> we can, I, we, yeah. I, I'm excited, you know, come back anytime. This is fascinating. Yeah. No, cool. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I mean, like uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. has talked about the, what I think is Project Artichoke, where you, you've got people, if if they're commanded by somebody in a white coat, that they will, they would, you know, basically press these buttons that would make them hear somebody being tortured to death, and they're the ones pressing the button, and the person saying, yeah, press the button, and and then the person saying, well, I don't want to do this, and then I've says, seen that. Yeah, press the button. I've seen that video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then people don't. And, and then the, the, the big. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, you go. No, it's okay. Uh, you're gonna say something. Well, I mean, um, and bottom line is, like, we could we could say, well, people are susceptible to being commanded, but what's the real issue? Morality is the issue. Like the mm-hmm. the moral fortitude to say, no, somebody. It doesn't matter what you tell me to do. Somebody's going to be hurt if I press that button. I'm not pressing the button. Mm-hmm. And so, and and then you've got somebody like basically begging the 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 white coat saying, please don't make me press this button. Please don't make me press this button. So it appears like they have some morality, like they, and they do, they do have some morality. I'm not trying to discredit and say humanity or everyone that made the wrong choice on this matter is Mm -hmm. completely immoral. It's not true. I think that I have this darkness within my soul and that it's in my nature to, to, um, you know, just follow an order and, and, and break my inner code of what, what I know is to be right. So that's my best mm-hmm. shot at it. But yeah, you got people pressing buttons, killing people in this experiment or thinking that they are, and they're willing to do it. And even though it makes them sad. And so it's this necessary outcome. And the other thing is this sacrificial thing that humanity, mm-hmm. essentially, you look at it through the centuries, through the, through the millennia, thousands of years, humanity, we've consistently had this belief that in order for me to live and to thrive and to love, something has to die. There has to be a sacrifice. And so, you know, societies would offer, they would tie a virgin to a base of a volcano, and then that would be the sacrifice for, for the tribe so that everyone else could live and thrive. There had to be a trade-off as, a, as an atonement, and it's a subconscious atonement for somebody's own self. And so, so, for example, the, the watching of movies with themes of violence where somebody's punished and mm-hmm. somebody dies, for example, even if they do bad things, it makes sense. Well, this is my sense of justice. But instead of the storyline being about them having a turnaround and a change of heart, it's about them. They have to die. And it's this atonement because the person watching has things that they need to atone for, things, mistakes they've made. And instead of having forgiveness, they believe that death is the need for the outcome. So you'll see it in an external victim. So somebody else is dying, getting that punishment. It's a necessary evil that must be achieved for my ability to be okay and for there to be equal equilibrium in the universe. And I actually do believe that's why people generally were okay with the Bayer's reports and things like that, because fundamentally we believe that there must be a trade-off. There must be death for life, which is just a false belief, but it's so deep that it's hard for people to even see it's there. Yeah, that's Marxism. That's uh, I was reading a couple of articles. Well, actually, one article. I got a few more from Morris, and he's talking about uh, you know economic Marxism, classical Marxism, you know, controlling the means of production, and cultural Marxism, controlling the means of information. 
and it's it's been a fascinating yeah. show. I, I did some of it this first hour this morning, and I did the first part of it yesterday. Um, but this idea of moral death, awesome. you know. Oh, thank you. Uh, you're pretty awesome too. I'm really glad that you're on the show here. This is I love to be able to talk thank about this you, stuff. Man. And and oh, you're, you're very welcome. And for folks to listen, I mean, this show has never held back. You know, I don't I don't gear it for twelve year olds. You know, they say, well, you've got to keep it simple. No, sorry, that's why I have my own show, so I can expand on yeah. things and, and and go as deep as we can go. But there's something that's you know, deep. The, 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 well, yeah, we, 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 I have my moments. Um, but this idea that, that uh, it's a zero-sum game, that, uh, that I can't win unless somebody else loses, is a bunch of nonsense. Mm. It's like, you know, the pie is only so big. You know, but the whole point of, of wealth and prosperity and freedom is to make a bigger pie. You know, and, they don't, and the folks that, that want to limit it, they don't consider that. But there's, there's a weird twisting of morals. I'm curious your opinion on this, that from the CMS, the Center for, for Medicaid, Medicare, you know, uh, services, which funds all of the, the remdesivir ventilator death march, the vaccines, everything else, everything that's gone on, it's, it's, it's more moral for the medical industry to kill people by following the protocol than it is to save them with something that's outside of it, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, mm. vitamin G3, vitamin C, you know, zinc. I mean, I, Dr. Zelenka was a friend of mine. Uh, we actually wrote a bill wow. uh, reforming the FDA. So this, these are some things I want to, I'll, I'll send you if you don't have them, you know, after the show. Oh, exactly. No, I do have, I do have that. It's incredible. The bill, um, I, our um, mutual con- contact sent me that just oh, recently. We have a secret agent, folks. <laughs> So it's really good yeah. that, that got us together. Um, but so, well, it's her choice. So if she wants, you know, then we'll, we'll figure it out later. Anyway, but the point is that um, there are several bills. And, but I'm going to ask you the bill in a minute. But just the idea that people are comfortable killing people following an approved protocol. They're so weak as opposed to saying, no, this isn't right. You know, the Simone Golds, the Judy Mikevitz, Judy's a friend of mine, uh, and some of the other folks that I've been yeah. able to meet said, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to follow through. Yet they're the outsiders. They're the ones who are condemned for saving people. And the people that are killing people are rewarded. We're in Alice in Wonderland here. This is a very strange moral environment that we're in. What do you think? So true. You've got some good points there. And and you're right. I mean, but just just think about the fact that what is good and right it depends on what position you have on life so is it good to, mm. to to heal so you would say just naturally and that everyone would just believe that okay well it's best to heal but then who says what makes you believe that and why is that the correct answer if somebody else says it's best to kill and then you'd say okay we'll justify your position and then you know what i mean what would somebody say greg if they if they if 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 you if they said no i think that the right thing to do the best thing the most moral choice is to kill and you i mean what what do you think they would say is an answer for why they justify the position to kill i don't think they justify it i think they'd say i was just following orders and i think it's the nuremberg exactly. defense and that's that's what they say i'm just or i'm, but I'm saying that they, yeah go ahead I'm saying that they're the mindless messenger for the for the actual incentive. So, like, who 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 plans a genocide and for what reason do they plan it? And then they have to get somehow their, their followers to implement it. And then they have they don't have the fortitude to strive against it. And fundamentally, I'm saying that they actually agree with it in essence mm-hmm. without okay. even realizing that they do. And so then it it actually makes sense to them, but they don't even realize, and they're actually implementing these protocols, but this, this death march is actually all connected to their own soul as to what of, of 
you know, so why would they do that? And I'll give you an example. So, for example, um, is, is the world overpopulated? This is a basic example. There's more, more de- deeper aspects to this, but is the world overpopulated? Not as far as I can see. Is it, you know, I think, I think it's, uh, yeah. we, have a, we have a distribution problem, we have a freedom problem, but we don't have a population problem. Exactly. And then you know that, but what if you thought that there was? Now, if there's a population problem, there's too many people, and mm-hmm. we're just going to starve each other out for resources. If it were true, then, then that, there would be some reason why the culling of the population would be the best thing for humanity long term or something like that. There's some kind of, again, it's based off a lie. So, but, um, so these are some of the ideas or the best one is the moral one to me. Like, okay. for example, you've got a you've got a bat, Batman type character. Batman, what does he do? He's a he's a kind of he he does good. Right. So, you know, mm-hmm. him is doing good, but like he does it by punishing evil. And he he like will actually take the life like they're a lot of these superheroes have this dark side where they they take life and they take life of the evildoer. Mm-hmm. But then who but then the real question is, who's the evildoer? And and if you look at like from from like look at the look at humanity and look at the let's just use a religious word sins of humanity, then mm-hmm. humanity is quite very much like a vermin on the earth, and we you know we cheat on our wives and husbands we um, we you know, kill or we premeditate murder we yell at each other when we're driving in the cars and we cut each other off we cheat and steal from each other when we're not watching and okay i'm so i'm presenting humanity in the least favorable light all of you know we traffic children all around the world uh and we and you know i I'm, i shouldn't be using a word we like with something that i certainly i'm not doing but i'm saying humanity as the human species we collectively do this and so to lessen the population of humanity would be like i mean there's iguanas in puerto rico that are taking over the island killing everything and so people shooting them down is no big problem do you see where i'm going with this mm-hmm. but i look at the world differently yeah. uh, i don't see a we i see i see uh individuals and this is i think a fundamental uh, a difference. Oh, yeah, and I don't agree with I don't, them. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I'm just seeing that. Yeah, no, I don't understand why, that. why they would justify it. Right, and that, that makes a lot of sense, but that's, that's the biggest problem, is there's two ways to look at, uh, at humanity, individually or collectively. If you look at humanity individually, I don't take responsibility for mass murderers or the Inquisition or Hitler or any of these people. You know, I'll do what I can to prevent, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can to fight against the current, you know, Dr. Fascist and, and the whole fascist medical, big health, big pharma, big tech, you know, big government cabal, you know, because that's our current evil. Yeah. That is evil. That is pure evil. And we do everything I can to stop it. In fact, I've actually, this is why I created Action Radio, Citizen Legislature, where we, the people, actually write laws that we consent to be governed by. That is a revolution. That is a, that is a very peaceful yeah. revolution. It's done on computers and the internet and stuff like that. But it is a revolution. It's a revolution in thought. So that's how I combat it. But in terms of, yeah. of humanity awesome. being evil... You know, I mean, thank you. Yeah, I don't, I can't, you know, I can stop the criminal personally if they affect me, you know, but I can't stop crime overall. Nobody can. Yeah. It all comes down to the individual. So are you a good person? Are, you know, are you, you know, fundamentally, do you, do you carry on your life well? Uh, and, and do you have problems and hassles? I mean, we have our good side and our, our dark side. I absolutely agree with that. That makes sense. But the difference is, yeah. you know, the good person feels bad about their dark side. The bad person doesn't. The sociopath yeah. doesn't care. 
you know. And so if you look at people individually, you know, the counter to, to the evil view is look at the look at the creations, the art, the music, the freedom, you know, all the things that we yeah. have here, the the technology, the you know, from uh, and here's what's interesting too. I want to talk about God for a minute because one of the things yeah. I noticed that I, I did not expect from this show. And there's a lot of things I didn't expect, but one of them is that almost without exception, I'd say, well, pretty much, yeah, everybody that comes to this show has a strong belief in God and a strong belief in freedom. And it's my contention that you wow. cannot have a strong belief in freedom without a strong belief in God, because you have to believe that there's a higher power. There's more to the world than just us. And so if we're it, yeah. then we become the ultimate moral authority. And that's where your evil comes from. That's where your dark side comes from. That comes from people saying, I'm my own God. Therefore, what I do is right, even if it's, you know, the rest of us say, what are you, crazy? You put a bunch of people in the gulag yeah. and kill them, you know? And so, so but if you look at it individually, we're individually responsible. We have an individual relationship with God. We believe that God believes in freedom and that you cannot separate the two. You look at our founding here in the United States, uh, that it was based on, you know, the founders saying that everybody is their own sovereign, not the king of England is the only sovereign and everybody else is a subject. And they're still British subjects. They're not citizens yet, which is quite fascinating. Oh, Jonathan just dropped. We've got to get him back again. I'm in the middle of a roll here. Gee, Jonathan, call back. <laughs> Where, this is good. <laughs> Where did he go? Anyway, so hopefully he'll come back here and I'll help my thought you know, as we go. But uh, yeah, and so this, I'll pick it up as soon as he comes back, calls back in. Uh, I, will, uh, I will pick that right up again. Hope he stays for the hour. Where did he go? Let me ask, uh, let me ask my secret agent here. Um, da -da 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 -da. Oh, there he is. Okay. Let's just put him back on the air here. All right. Uh, so you dropped, your call dropped for a second, and I was on a roll. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know, I know. I wanted to hear that last line. I, it just, <laughs> well, I forgot it something now. Happened, well, something uh, happened. And, and I want to welcome the members of the FBI KGB to the show today. If you want to call in, just be like everybody else, 215-383-3832. And you too, FBI KGB, can join the conversation. And if you're going to raid my house, mm -hmm. let me know ahead of time. I'll make coffee. Okay, so there's my standard uh, FBI mm -hmm. warning. But let's, let's, get, let's talk about God and freedom, uh, because I think that's, that's the counter to the evil view yeah. that we're all selfish, we're all disgusting, we're all horrible, and so therefore it's okay to kill mass amounts of people, and it's okay to kill the population until it's, it's how we, you know, the globalists, the World Economic Forum, exactly. is going to say, well, we're in charge, we know what's going on, you know, we want you naked, no property, and eating bugs, and you'll be happy. <laughs> Hell no! Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not my vision for me. You know, I, I want to fly a jet. Yeah. Well, not again. I want to fly jets. I want to have fun. You know, and so anyway, but uh, tell me about God. Tell me about uh, why, why yeah. and, and freedom. And, and what are your thoughts? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I think that, uh, Greg, it's you. And, and that's the thing. Like, it's so true that we just need to separate from that paradigm. And, and you know, there, there you see me playing devil's advocate of just saying, hey, look, you know, you want to know that there, there is some kind of when you look at what they're doing, there's some kind of it's as if they're doing something that is moral. That's the mm -hmm. strange thing when you look at it. It's like it's, they, they come with some kind of mission and purpose that is like you can't get your head around it because it's so dark, but yet mm. they, their, their fortitude at the way they strive for it, and it, it actually seems sometimes, actually, in some way, it's quite altruistic. It, it appears that way, but I can, and it's not obviously at all altruistic, but it is actually sometimes self-sacrificial. Self mm -hmm. They act like if you understand any of these orders that if you if you look at them, they actually do require those that are in to basically give up themselves if they have to for that mission. They basically mm -hmm. made um, the equivalent of a suicide bomber. And so you'll see people do things that, you know, like 
socially ruin them or it maybe even you know lead to their demise and you i could present examples but but coming over to the you know god and salute you know the solution it is to me deeply connected to faith it is deeply connected to the belief in in a precious creation of of god that that is part of a theistic uh, which is the belief of god uh, intelligent uh, process that that is it, that is off the motivation of love that transcends all things and in the same way that my child uh, if if he ever did anything wrong or to disappoint me or to to make me feel ashamed of something my two boys uh, there's nothing that they could do to make me not love them and even if even if you know things went really bad and there were things that had to you know interventions that needed were needed but i um i would never stop loving them and so there is this belief that is within the the theistic worldview christian worldview and and yes this these beliefs do come out of different faiths as well and i do encourage people and i do speak positively about any truth in any worldview um so uh-huh. i i speak tr- positively about that truth within that worldview uh, even though for example if i have differences in the way i believe and i think that that's that's okay and that's that's uh something that people should uh pursue like a like an absolute truth so that they can understand the fullness of something but any fragment of any truth that any of us have can help us be better and we should focus on that thing that helps us be better within that belief and i think that christianity has these these deep um and beautiful views of um, the importance of every every life that that the equality within humanity and by equality I mean the uh, the fact that we're all precious regardless of our wealth stature gender there's nothing that makes us less or more valuable to God and so like the if uh, you, the the idea of useless eaters versus the <laughs> the, the billionaire useless to who. <laughs> You know, in other words, are you valuable because yeah, you exist? Yeah. I mean, we can get pretty existential here. This is kind of fun. Um, but uh, this is, yeah. I, I suddenly wrote down, you know, the UN Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, something just to sort of probably interrupt your train of thought. Um, I don't know yeah. if you know Jen Clark, Jen Clark in Australia, who was one of the freedom truckers from Melbourne, went to Canberra, uh, I think a couple oh, of years okay, ago. Yeah. We actually wrote an Australian Bill of Individual Rights. And I hear your accent. It's like, you know, so it's like, I know that accent. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> uh, I spent four years yeah, in Melbourne when yeah, I was you got growing right. up. So I'm pretty familiar with with Australia. But um, what's going on there? What's going on, you know, in, in, in well, I'll send you the Australian Bill of Individual Rights. I think you'll find that very interesting also. But um, what's, happened, oh, what's happened in my old country? I love that. What's happened to Australia? Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, Australia was, was a bit of a war zone last year or a lot of a mm-hmm. war zone. I was there uh, all of last year, basically. And... Hold on. What year are we in? We're in 2023. I was there. I was, was I, was, I was there in 2021. You must travel a lot. You must travel. You have to think, you know, it's like, uh, you know, if it's this year, I must be, you know. Go ahead. No, this is funny. We had a, we had our little baby, baby boy there in Australia in 2021. Mm -hmm. And, and then it was, it was illegal for me to visit my parents, uh, even though they lived, what, 30 minutes away, even if, but, but even if they lived next door, it was illegal for me to visit my parents. Mm-hmm. I, I, we could have been fined to like $5,000 per head. I, uh, that's insane. obviously, well, that's irrational. That makes no sense. 
<laughs> of course it, it does. But then you'd see me talking to the police officers, you know, getting every loophole I could so I could convince my parents to like let me say and know how I could use the loopholes, for example, would look their elderly or um, they're going through depression. So this is compassionate care. I've come to bring this food or we're doing a, a trade here. Um, you know, I'm trading these five oranges for those five apples and any reason why we could, we could just do it. And, but you know, my, my parents, my dad particularly was, was scared about that. So I'd, you know, find a way and he just, you know, he wouldn't, he just was too afraid to, to see me. Then I just kind of come in through the backyard and, you know, climb through the woods and, and then just knock on the back door with my, my two year old at the time. And then you just see that he couldn't send me away. And then he's like, Oh, he, here he is with the, with this. I just, I've been wanting to see this boy. we we live in America. So you know, I'm not in Australia and here I am there and I can't even see my, my parents or my siblings or anyone legally. And, and so then just seeing his heart melt and then he'd just be like, okay, he's willing to you know break the law so that he can have family because the 10 commandments come over the, any law that tries to be enforced in my view as a Christian. And one of the commandments is to honor your mother and father. And I can't honor them by adhering to these guidelines. And so therefore I, I need to actually break the guidelines, guidelines to, to do what I believe to be the will of God in my life. So, you know, those were the kinds of things that you would see, but yeah, you saw people get shot with uh, rubber pellets at protests. I was at protests. I was on the news in Australia on the, on the um, mainstream news there. Um, putting forward our position and it was it was a very sad time and and it is a sad time uh but it's especially then which shows what's possible where's the rebellion where's the where's the revolution where are the people standing up and saying hell no it's we don't bigger. accept this it's bigger in australia it's bigger in australia than it is here in america i could tell you oh, i've been good. to the biggest protest here mm-hmm. uh where where like i mean what's the population in america was it 400 million no about 330 ish more, more well, of the illegals yeah, that have come here. It. Yeah. Oh, I got yeah. it. Yeah. Australia, yeah, yeah, that's what, right. I 30, actually, 40? How many in Australia? No, like, I, I mean, something like 25, we can double check it. But, oh, okay. um, you know, it's 25 million or so. Um, and then if you compare this, right, for example, we were, I was at a DC rally that had about uh-huh. 40,000 people. From, my mom was at a rally down in uh, Canberra. They were talking about half a million people being there. Oh, wow. 500,000. That was, that was probably one And of you look at the population. The yeah. It's yeah. 10 times less the population mm-hmm. and 10 times more the show up. So do the math on that. So I'm saying that that kind of tyranny, what it can do is create this. It can create that uprising, which is, it's, you know, we could call it a rebellion, but really it's not a rebellion because it's, what what they are doing is a is a rebellion, right? That what their wicked forces are doing. Um, and yeah, so, the government's the but, rebellion. But yeah, it, the government's the rebellion against humanity. They are the rebellion. We yeah. are just the ones um, holding the line for what is true. And so we, you know, it's yeah. So yeah, you got you got the picture. And the other thing that I wonder whether you're curious on Greg in terms of the research inside of some of the um, 
the remedies and the protocols that have been proven effective for people with vaccine injuries. I'm not sure if that's an area that you'd like to discuss, but certainly one sure. that we've done. Well, yeah, feel free, you're, you're free to discuss anything, anything that you find interesting you want us to know. What I know is uh, Dr. Judy Mikovits has a bunch of protocols, you know, for vaccine. Yeah. We talked about vaccine recovery. Uh, and so anything that you have, because you're big into health. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about your movies and I want to talk about anything else you want to talk about. So uh, tell me about, oh, uh, tell me about vaccine recovery. That's, that's a huge topic, and people are very interested in that. Yeah. Well, how familiar are you with you, Greg, with uh, venom peptides being used? That what do you think of what do you think of that? That I don't know as much as I probably should. Brian Artis has been on the show. He's a friend of mine too. Yeah. Um, but if you want to briefly describe it, then then feel free. And, sure. Because uh, we said, well, I used to call it, it's funny. I call it snake oil. I used to call the shot snake oil until I found it really was. Yeah. <laughs> It was kind of funny. That used to be a euphemism yeah. for uh, products in the 1800s from the United States. You know, I said, well, that's snake oil. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the, the traveling well, sales because, guy. Because people were selling actually of. snake oil. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, right there. If you got genuine snake oil, that was that was good. But if you got like just petroleum and it was marketed as snake oil, that made you, that then you got ripped off, right? So yeah. actually buying snake oil was something that was used therapeutically at the time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, but, so, okay, so go ahead. Yeah, I'm you're curious. right about that. It is, could could be. Okay, <laughs> so just in a nutshell, the reason why I bring this up is because I think it's critical for people to understand what protocols work and why. And um, so, uh, cone snail, cone snail venoms and snake venoms. So, like, I'll I'll cite just quickly. I can do this in like what, a minute. But um, 36 different toxin-like peptides. Um, I almost almost identical. So that that language is very important. This is a peer reviewed study out of Italy, published on PubMed, you, which you can access on the NIH. Well, you know through the NIH. So it's not it's from a mainstream source. It's not French, mm-hmm. and again peer reviewed. But specifically speaking, almost, toxin like toxic like components almost identical to components of venoms of animals, and then it lists the different types of snake venoms or the different categories, which would be bradykinins. Uh, phospholipases, phosphodiasterases, zinc metalproteinases, they're all snake venoms. And then the other one was conotoxins, which is a cone snail venom. And so the specific mm. species that showed up in only the COVID positive patients and not in the COVID negative, and I'm speaking COVID, not vaccine injuries. This was, study was conducted June of 2020. This was mm-hmm. before the vaccines were released. And so why did these people in Italy have toxic-like components almost identical to uh, these animal venoms of like the Uruguayan coral snake, the Malayan crate, the Chinese spitting cobra, the Californian cone snail, the um, uh, fish hunting cone snail, the crown of thorn starfish. Um, Yeah, I mean, these Pacific cones and California cones and snakes from all different parts of the world, they're clearly, clearly using uh, genetic uh, actual uh, biological weapons using intentionally biological mm-hmm. components of animals that that can be used specifically to harm people. And this has been done by the CIA and was disclosed in 1975 in a congressional hearing with Senator Frank Church. And they the church disclosed hearing. using a heart yes. attack. They're going to try and do those again. It should be interesting. Okay, well, tell me more. This is, this is great. Yeah, they developed a heart attack gun using shellfish venom, so it could hit you and give you a heart attack. Mm. And you wouldn't know that it hits you. It was frozen in an ice, ice dart, and it could right. be shot 100 meters away. Um, and so they developed that. Then, remember, shellfish venom triggering heart attack. When you look at the heart attacks, 
when before Dr. Artis mentioned that it was venom, he just used the word poison. And then that word poison well, triggered me immediately to this. There's a difference between say, poison say that again. and venom, right? There's a difference between poison well, and venom, it, isn't there? It, it can be the same thing. Like the etymology, for example, of the word of virus is venom or poisonous secretion. So they are actually the same, but just using the word poison was enough for me to think, hold on a second. So before mm-hmm. he said venom, uh, then I was thinking, think about, think about the rate at which, and the, the length of time in which somebody gets a shot and then dies. Most of them are happening. The, the bigger chunk is happening within the first 48 hours. And then the second biggest chunk is in the first 48 hours. It is so quick. Why is this happening so quickly? And then I started to, to like think about this and there, there's nothing I've ever studied that can work this quickly other than like something like a cyanide pill or something that is designed to actually kill, but specifically now when it's breaking down organ function or it's causing like a heart attack or a stroke and then all the symptoms are so various, the only way I can explain symptomology like this from my research mm-hmm. is through uh, venomics, actually the use of animal venoms to, to work so quickly. And, and to, to trigger a heart attack within minutes of getting a shot or within hours. And these, these are what you see in common with nature. And, and now coming over to injury recoveries. Mm-hmm. So what you'll find there is that these COVID then and the vaccine injuries, primarily the number one thing is they present as actually a neurological condition versus a respiratory condition, even for COVID. And so this oh, is something that everyone can understand. Yes. And so it presents as a respiratory condition and it, and it surfaces as a respiratory issue, including other things. But it's so widespread, all different functions are shutting down. Like, why does someone lose their taste and smell and have respiratory arrest um, mm-hmm. if it was just a lung condition? Or why, why is somebody yeah, that was one having neurological conditions? <laughs> Logic and reason. Yeah. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> if it's a lung disease, why are you, uh, you know, treating it uh, with, a, with, a disease, with a drug that kills your kidneys? You know, there's something wrong here. There's just none of this made sense. There you go. So I know what you're going with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. People are getting Guillain-Barre, like a neurological condition and with COVID itself. And then, and then even, even pericarditis, myocarditis, they're getting these conditions with Mm -hmm. COVID itself. And yet it's, it's a respiratory disease. No, it's not a respiratory disease. It, it, it can present as, and some of the treatments that work for respiratory disease help to correct COVID. But uh, I, can, I can prove this. Like, so, for example, in 2012, there was, a, there was an article, a research article that came out from the Department of Justice. You can find it. It's called Conotoxins, Potential Weapons from the Sea. Those words will find it. It actually says in the abstract that the um, treatment for a cone snail sting is respiratory support and intubation. And it says that aerosolized conotoxins is is something that we could see that that is an incredibly um, horrific and and large terrorist threat that is experienced by the United States. And that the, and and it's, it lists three different types of conotoxins, even in the abstract, when you just look at there on the website, one of them is O conotoxin, but it's actually the Greek alphabet for O, and guess what O stands for in the Greek alphabet? It's Omega. Omicron. The end. Yeah. Oh, Omicron. Um, oh, oh okay. A is alpha. Is alpha is the uh, A is for the alpha, but yeah, the Omicron, and then yeah, you got the Omega that um, they're using. Um, so they're actually even saying there on the website the Omicron conotoxin is one of the most likely ones to be aerosolized. It says that it's still up there. 
Uh, but, but you know, yeah, sure, it could be a coincidence that Omicron is here and that kind of thing. So I, I don't really grab at that too much. But I, what I can tell you is that. Well, yeah, well, let me ask you something completely different then. So, so me, I'm into prevention. Yeah. And, and for those of us, you know, as soon as you talk about, uh, air, you, know, you know, ice darts and, and Kona, is that C-O-N-A? Is that how you spell Kona? Kona toxins? Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, C-O-N-O, Kono toxin. Kono toxins. Okay. So I'm thinking Andrew Breitbart. And so Andrew Breitbart, yep. you know, created Citizen Journalist. And I believe he was murdered. He was like 44 years old. You know, created Breitbart News, wow. the whole bit and things like that. And I'm thinking for me personally, you know, if, if he created Citizen Journalist and that got him murdered, you know, and I'm creating Citizen Legislators, <laughs> which is a quantum leap, wow. you know, in, in the direction. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, if these conotoxins are out there, what can I do now to build up an immunity to them? Because, you know, snake people, when they handle snake venom, uh, they, they build up an immunity. They actually take snake venom. So, so for those of us wow. on the activist front, have you looked into ways that we can build up an immunity to these things in advance, just in case, you know, I'm targeted, my friends are targeted, anybody, any citizen legislators targeted, you're targeted, things like that. What can we do? Yeah, no, it's such a good point. Yeah. Like with these heart attack guns, well, and then, yeah. And then like aerosolized, like I'm saying that the, these vaccines, what is, I believe, shedding on people and mm-hmm. with, with the ability for these things i i do believe it's the the greatest warfare of, of like at least the last 30 years even let alone today mm-hmm. uh and i could explain more of why i think that but i think the sure. tricky to answer your question here yeah. yeah sure but but like but look i think there's a long history of this and obviously i mentioned the cia but i what i understand is that they actually did a transition there when they allegedly shut down the cia mk ultra program including this one that was being conducted at fort dietrich which is all in their declassified doctrine doc, documents which includes on page 242 of a document you can download from senate.gov which is the declassification of the 1975 hearings on the heart attack gun and the biological weapons that were being developed, including shellfish venom, cone snail uh, venoms, and paralytic clamshell venoms. They specifically even talk about entering into a cooperative project with the FBI where they put the water venoms into the drinking fountains mm-hmm. uh, and without the knowledge of the, the, the staff and it could be moderated off the chlorine levels in the water as to whether the venom would be active or not. So they knew the chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, chlorine dioxide. They knew that these things would be affected because they know that they denature venoms. They knew this information. Oh, wait a minute. So say that again. I, I want to get that study again because I can't write as fast as you talk, but I'll get the podcast. But you're saying hydroxychloroquine. This is high, you know, which used to be chloroquine, but hydroxy, in other words, hydrogen and oxygen on the chloroquine, the chlorine, this is a chlorine based uh, atom, right? Or molecule. Yes. You're saying yes. that it, it, it destroys snake venom? Yes. And, or and like venom? in 19... Yeah. Yes, okay. exactly. And it's, and, it, and it's in their, huh. their own documents that it says, it says um, the colophage, which, which is like the... It talks about using these uh, like basically carriers, basically the E. coli. Um, so I, it, yeah, the I, like, I mean, I'm trying to work out whether they're using <laughs> actual venom know, yeah. or whether they're... Okay whether they were using synthetics, which actually need yeast and E. coli. Um, but anyway, it specifically talks oh. about these substances that were there or that were in conjunction with the, the animal venom in the water. And it, and it breaks down the exact types of venoms that were used, but it says that based on the chlorine levels in the water, that it would um, kill the um, colophage and therefore deactivate it. So they had to have the chlorine levels low in the water in order for oh, the experiment to be carried out. 
and that they basically could poison the people in the building and see whether a covert operation be, could be carried out. And then they said, look, the saboteurs, we were not detected. We were apparently undetected and, and nobody uh, suspected. And like, basically they, they, carry, they showed that they could carry this out. No one went, oh, it's the drinking water that's causing all this. They ne that never happened in, in that um, and, and it was dis you know, disclosed in that document. But yeah, in terms of it shows you, for example, chlorine being uh, helpful in, in that process. But like you wait till you see the therapeutic use of nicotine and why it's so critical. That, that'll blow your mind. If you want anything that is the most protective thing, it's, it's the nicotine because of the way that the, the, because of the way venoms bind to nicotinic acetylcholine receptor sites. And that study that I mentioned from Italy, which is the title of which is toxin-like peptides found in blood, urine, and feces of COVID-19 patients, that, that study, which you'll find with just those words, says in the conclusions that what was proposed by the uh, France researchers that published a study that was very similar two months or so before, that nicotine mm -hmm. needs to be looked at as a therapeutic agent for COVID-19 patients because it is the approach to it is the major approach to venoms and to to create competition for a receptor site that has been attacked by venoms so when venoms are binding to these receptor sites in the brain the heart the testes the ovaries and uh, actually even within this within our cells themselves when they're binding to these what's going to happen is it's actually shutting down the function of of in this case us and but like the, these were these were adapted or um, had some kind of uh, uh, e evolving in nature where the, what happened was that they the snakes and these cone snails they they need these venoms to be able to actually survive they need to be able to inject a prey and so the prey would actually run away and and the snake wouldn't be able to stop them unless they could send a venom that would hit these receptor sites and then shut down and make the heart change its beat slow down create respiratory arrest for the creature uh, and so and it's preparing to be able to even these proteins that are in the venoms are also preparing for that snake to digest um and so it's so which is why it's causing both clotting and bleeding and so oh that which sounds is, familiar which is just that sounds like a covid shot clotting and bleeding mm -hmm. exactly yep. got it exactly <laughs> because because they it, it is it is exactly in line with what they're it, it is this technology it's it's performing the same way when we give people these treatments we see remarkable recovery often very quickly there was a study that actually dr artist surfaced it's incredible it was in it was in rats but it was a, a glioblastoma that was caused by a venom at the alpha 7 nicotinic receptor site so it just it gives you all these details right there and it says that within 72 hours of using one milligram of of nicotine per kilogram of body weight within 72 mm -hmm. hours the entire glioblastoma tumor disappeared see i thought that was a cell phone thing there was the radiation from cell phones that was causing that, that glioblastoma oh, am i talking about the same it thing can, absolutely but okay no way it can be like there can be multiple causes for something but but um in this the case nicotine. this was specifically nicotine. a study on on rats and, and and venom and glioblastoma and but you have to just think about the fact that now with covid coming out and with these rapid rises in all kinds of cancers and um then you know what is it in these types of you know, this this approach that could be causing that and there are a lot of factors that could cause these types of uh, breakdowns and reactions and cancers in 
and and therefore that would be then now a specific cause that needs to be addressed and unless it is it's this missing link and so somebody with cancer but you you have to think about this greg uh their pesticides are getting sprayed commonly on crops and you're obviously aware of that but did you know that yep. spider and scorpion venom are getting sprayed on your crops and you you uh, eat, i didn't know that eating part of them? <laughs> that was new yeah so i try to go well, think about it what are you trying can. to kill insects and larvicides yeah. fungicides uh you're trying to kill these little creatures what do you mm-hmm. think is the best thing to kill those things? Venom, because that's what they use. Like you, you see a scorpion go and attack a little bug or whatever and eat it. And the venom is the, the most powerful thing to paralyze its prey. So then they're, they're getting employed. I'm not saying they're in every single pesticide. I'm saying that they, they have been. You can just look up you know, pesticides and venoms and they date back a long way. So you wouldn't know which one is which. But even you, if you get any exposure and it binds to these receptor sites, you could... Mm-hmm you could technically have any type of disease process initiated and, and not know it. And unless you address that particular aspect, you won't be able to like have a recovery. But some of those things include things like vitamin C uh, and uh, ascorbic acid. Well, it's ascorbic acid. Um, and then you've got N-acetylcysteine and EDTA that are all used to denature and glutathione to denature venoms. And so they're, they're important as well to use. And so then you'll find that these things work. And so sometimes people are using therapies that actually work to attack the venom. But something like nicotine wouldn't typically be understood, but that's why it's important for people to understand this, this aspect so that they can use these te- treatments accordingly, specifically, because that's the way we get to health and healing right there. Um, it's, and How the other we- one is urine therapy, Greg, which is going to be a bit What's of that? a shocker, but the urine therapy needs to, needs to be understood because of because of what because of the big why behind that it's again that's going to sound insane but people need to know of that they they have to know that what is it well it's What's urine, therapy? <laughs> urine therapy is is the most studied and practiced medicine of all history um oh. so the consumption of one's own urine and i'm talking about like you know roman jewish uh let's go um ayurvedic so indian uh, chinese Native American, uh, Native Australian Aboriginal, it doesn't matter what culture you go to. Most of the time, you'll find a history of it. Japan, J- Japanese, Taiwanese, you just keep going through these lists of the cultures that carried these over in, in the cases for the cultures that lasted long enough, thousands of years or um, hundreds of years. And today they're being practiced. So millions of people are doing this today. And obviously some of these places where there's urine therapy clinics and centers like in India and there's others in different yeah, parts I heard of about, Asia. Uh, but 60 Minutes, there was a leader, Moranji Jastai, is like one of the ministers of India back in the 70s. He was on 60 Minutes with Mike Wallace. He says, yeah, he drinks his own urine. I'm like, what? Why would, how yeah, would that be? Exactly. Why, would, why would we be created to expel this if it's better for us not to or just send it through the system again? I don't, I don't get it. What's, what's the, uh, uh, what's the yeah, physiology exactly. of that? Well, it it's counterintuitive. Right. It, it does sound like and it disgusting. for sure, and, but I yeah. do believe that we'll also get to the point and where um, basically w- when women get pregnant, they have this white pussy looking stuff that comes out of their breasts and they just have to kind of drain it out and get rid of it because it's just this kind of weird thing. And then they, you know, and mothers just give this formula white powder called formula milk. And I believe that that's going to happen and it's already happening. So the, this mm. kind of disconnection with the body is is so uh, intense that it would make sense that we don't actually even know what urine is. We get, we use um, derogatory and informal words to describe it like piss and we don't actually even understand what it is. 
And so I can tell you that um, you, you lived in it for the first nine months of your life and it's all you consumed. Amniotic fluid is 90 to 95% urine. And it's the reason oh, why, for example, wow, it's very amazing. Like your, your origins was born in urine. It was your own urine and it was also aged or evolved urine because you, you kept urinating in the womb. And then you kept actually that, that went through every crevice of your body. And that there's actually a lot of stem cells in your urine. Uh, the Wake Forest Institute of Regenerative Medicine published a study in May of last year that showed uh, that in a 24-hour urine sample, they collected 140 clonal stem cells in three weeks. It proliferated in over, into a, over 100 million pluripotent stem cells, which are completely undifferentiated, that can regenerate any tissue in the body except for placenta, because it mm -hmm. knows the body knows that that's not what it does. So intelligent, they could not form cancerous tumors, they could not form false cells, which are teratomas of hair and teeth. They could not do these things. Why was this so powerful and potent? But then when you look at, like, for example, the womb, if a woman gets a C-section, she'll have a scar on the outside, but there is no detectable scar at all in, in the inside that amniotic fluid is able to completely regenerate as if nothing happened, as if there was never a scapel that touched it, which is hmm. just unheard of. You're just full of interesting information. This is fascinating. Well, we only have a few minutes left for this hour. I think I have another guest. Otherwise, I'll let you go. We're just, well, I'll have yeah. to have you back. Yeah, but no, cancer. You're good. You're good. Yeah, cancer. cancer yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, cancer's always uh, bothered me, the fact that uh, we're still looking for a cure for cancer. And it's been, what, 100 years? Should yeah. we have cancer at this point in human history? Is there any reason that we still have cancer? Or is it just too big a business? Exactly. Oh, exactly. No, no. It's, uh, there's every reason why we'd have more of it than, than ever before because of the advent of all the, all the chemicals and pesticides and all these different mm -hmm. things. The, the, uh, the amount of animal products, this is in, my, in my opinion, my research, that the animal products, uh, the amount that we're eating very much is very similar to what happened with the Egyptians. So if you look at the autopsies on Egyptian mummies, you'll find that they mm -hmm. died of the same diseases we have today. They're one of mm. the few cultures historically from that long ago that actually ate meat the amount of times we do. They'll eat it every meal. We eat it every meal here in America. So there are certain things that make sense why it's so prevalent today. I, and I'm not saying no meat. I'm not saying everyone has to be a vegetarian. I'm just saying people need to understand that our bodies weren't made to consume that that quantity. And you look at the National Geographic Blue Zones, they just have a much lower consumption uh, of, of, of meat. They're talking a, a few times. Say, yeah, exactly. Blue Zone is the longest living group of people in the world. Five different mm. groups. They live to 100 years and beyond without aches and pains. They're called the centenarians. There's one in uh, America. It's the Loma Linda uh, group, but it's the Seventh-day Adventist. They, they actually have a vegetarian diet. And then you've got um, the, the other groups that aren't vegetarian, like, like the Okinawans and the Sardinians, but they they um they just have a uh, they eat meat like a couple of times a month or a couple of times a week. They just have a lower intake. So it's just about higher plants. Uh, but, but yeah, in terms of these other things, all the vaccines, I, absolutely, they're injecting us with, I believe, not only these animal like blood and, and fetal tissue um, and the combination, these amalgamations of these things and the viruses from, from monkeys and uh, all these different things. But they're also what these adenoviruses or specifically the retroviruses that, that these are cultured in, that those words virus, I believe, again, is code for venom. And it's part of the reason why we see huge raise in these types of things and to conclude the uh the urine topic urine actually is a way that we can get anti-venom because our bodies actually produce antibodies and they come out in the urine and what what the body does is actually filters out 
almost everything and it just keeps a little signature there and so you could be severely mercury toxic your urine actually would have an infinitesimal amount of mercury and it actually works at like a vaccine but at like an actual vaccine where it's distilled it's purified it's from urine is called plasma ultrafiltrate so what's happening you're getting a purified substance in your body that doesn't have a live virus or and so it's actually safe and it's sterilized and then you're able to feed back the system the same thing works with cancer dr rashid Bhattar has 120 stage three and stage four cancer patients that are 10 years past their diagnosis, all of which were using urine therapy to signal the body to what the tumors were so they could use that feedback loop within the urine. So that, there's just a few little therapies there for you, Greg. Well, this is fascinating. First thing, let's get your contact information. So how can people find you, your websites, your films, uh, all the stuff that you do, ministry, anything that you have? Let's get that out there. And oh, sure. Have a couple days Thank questions. you so much. No problem. Yeah, we've got an amazing we've got an amazing series running right now called AbsoluteHealingSeries.com. So that's AbsoluteHealingSeries.com. That's a great place to to find us. You can see my some of my stuff there on JonathanOtto.tv, and then you you can find me. Just look up my name on the social platforms. We've got a few hundred thousand followers on like platforms like TikTok with True Health Secrets and with my name Jonathan Otto. But yeah, you can find me around those places. But one of the best places to follow me is like literally just go to AbsoluteHealingSeries.com and then just put your name and email and you'll get a full nine episode documentary series on all the things I spoke about with all the doctors where we discover and go through all the therapeutic uses of these, how to actually use them specifically and, and uh, the documented case studies of people recovering, which we have and we're sharing in that film. And it's incredibly helpful to save the life of somebody watching or listening or someone that they love. Yeah, yeah. And I would ask uh, if you're interested and you can help us out here, um, if you can post our bills, particularly vaccine product liability and our end to big tech censorship that are very straightforward, very awesome. easy to read. Anybody can just copy the link, send it to Congress, send it to media, send it to pollsters, send it to everybody you know and ask them to do the same thing, that uh, I believe this is the future. This is the future of activism yeah. because, you know, the elections have been stolen. The candidates are all corrupt for the most part. Uh, there are a few yeah. you know, good, but even then, they're still responsible to their parties. So they don't answer to us. But the idea that we can actually write laws that we consent to be governed by, and then we go through the constitutional system. This can work in Australia, too. This can work anywhere in the world. You know, and we're looking at parliamentary yeah. systems. We're looking at things like that. But if you have questions for me, I'm also a new affiliate uh, of your organization, too. So uh, awesome. I'll be making a nice ad for, for you guys and promoting as well. It's always our same code, W-Y-L, you know, write your laws. Um, do you have a question for me oh, at all awesome. as, to, as to what we do or oh. our legislation, how it came about, anything like oh, that? Oh, I would love to. Exactly. I, I Absolutely. And, and I feel like one of the best ways, um, again, because I, I mean, I, I looking at the time, you want to make sure that you're fine with your time. But what well, I would my, love my other caller isn't called yet, you. so we can we can go until Ken calls. Oh, perfect. Drones after that. Yeah, well, so, uh, first, one I would love you know. to, but I'd love to get you on my uh -huh. show and get sure. you to explain this process of how people can appeal to their local governments and and go through that mm -hmm. process. But um, but the, and and then that would be my question. Basically, someone's listening and they're saying, well. Again, I'm sure you go through this all the time on your show, but obviously I would like to know for like my audience, how do you go about that process? What's the best way to appeal to your local bodies to get a favorable outcome to like, for example, stop the mandates or um, anything of that nature? Well, actually, it's very simple. Uh, this is why I designed the website, writeyourlaws.com. And we lost our webmaster to hospital protocols you know, of remdesivir ventilators and, and everything else. So this is, again, this is very personal. It's W-R-I-T-E, 
Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. And the first page, the homepage, explains the build process, explains how to do it, gives you a little template. Uh, and then you go to the next section on the menu bar, which is legislation. And the first thing you'll do when you... And I'm going through this right leg- now while you're saying it. Go ahead, do it right now. I'll walk you through it. So look at the first yeah, page no, on I the am, homepage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I'm in legislation, and so then which one do I go to? Well, let's start with the first one. Which, propose a new law. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah. So you see a little format there, name, email, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, title of the yeah. bill. You select citizen bill ideas. That's the first category. That's like our committee hearing. And then bill content. Yeah. So you write your bill. So you want a title of the bill. And this can be a simple, because you know, people, I don't expect people to be experts, you know, day one. So just put an idea down. You know, I want lower taxes. I want uh, I want venom out of out of uh, vaccines. You know, and say, okay, great. So now I'm going to yeah. get that. And then if it's a decent idea, I'll post it. You know, on Write Your Laws. And then we're going to take comments. What do people think about this? What's uh, where can we go with this? You know, can I help the person develop it further? And if it's a decent bill, I'm going to bring you on the show. We actually have a bill workshop, and we make it a better bill. I have a person that's working with um, Judy Mikevitz right now, a woman named Linda, who's just one of our listeners. So I got Linda and Judy writing this bill to end all drug advertising. Uh, in the United States. And so the only place to do it is New Zealand and the United States. So I can take the, some, the biggest public figures in the world, world renowned experts and work with just, you know, just us regular folks out here and, and create bills. So you write your bill, you, we put it on there, we make it better. And then it goes to citizen bill ideas. And once it's there, again, that's our committee hearing. We talk about stuff. We work stuff through. When it's ready to go to a legislature and media, it goes to the next section down, which is all proposed laws. So, if you, go to the, so you, can, you can go through these and see um, when you get to all proposed laws, that's where you'll find vaccine product liability, uh, the Australian Bill of Rights. You'll find our bill to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. You know, we end judicial review. You know, we, we get rid of part of the withholding tax. There's just a bunch of things that are there. It's, it's complex. There's a lot of them. Uh, but you'll also yeah, find the bill I wrote with Dr. Zelenko, you know, and you'll find uh, – so, but the two big ones are vaccine product liability and any big tech censorship, if just those two bills get out there and they start getting into the public and the public debate and the news and people go, oh, that's interesting. You mean this is all I have to do is copy the link to this bill and send it to my member of Congress and send it to my media and send it to my favorite talk show host? Yes, that's it. <laughs> when millions of people do that yeah. and this becomes in the public debate, you know, because no one's doing it. Congress can't write that bill. The two beholden the big pharma. They're never going to write it. So we go from, from write your laws to the people, to the media, then to Congress. Congress is the last place. Make sense? Yeah, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Cool, huh? That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you. No, I love that. I'm going through all these, all these proposed laws, and they, mm-hmm. they go back um, a little while here, which is great. And then you've got the ones that are from, all, from, from this year or, the, or the, the past year that just got that put up. And I see, I see the one that you're talking about, for example, mm-hmm. here, the um, – uh, which one is it? Um, but yeah, Constitutional Amendment Congress shall not have the power to borrow money. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I can see them all here. So, so basically, I just click on one here, and then mm-hmm. click on one. Now I'm, Kevin's, Kevin's now I'm looking at yes, yeah, so I'm looking uh, at that one that I just mentioned, okay. the, the amendment to borrow mm-hmm. money, but not not having the power. So now, mm-hmm. what do I do here? Well, if you look at the first section of it, it's very simple, and I do this from memory. Uh, it just takes Article One, Section Eight where it says Congress shall have the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States and basically take yeah. that line out of the Constitution. And then you put a line above it, which says Congress shall not have the power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, nor to print money in excess of revenue. So they can't print their way out of a, of a deficit either. So if you end borrowing and printing of money, 
you basically stop inflation because inflation is because of yeah. borrowing and printing money. So that ends inflation. Well, what does that mean? Well, then the, the, the currency becomes a finite amount. You know, you, you hold your currency stable. Well, you don't need the Federal Reserve. Okay. You don't need yeah. monetary policy. Interest rates will be set by the market. As the currency maintains the stability and you increase the wealth of a country through increased, you know, production, work, things like that, the dollar increases in value, which means that you can buy more yeah. with it, which means prices go down. So not only do you use your inflation, you also increase everybody's savings and everybody's wealth because the value of the dollar increases. Well, that takes the money from government and from the, the, the big banks that are transferring wealth to themselves through inflation and reverses it. It's actually reverse transfer of money wow. back to the people. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Uh, it's so awesome. I love that. Yeah. That, that, uh, I mean, that would, that, would, that would obviously change the world, actually. And so now what do I do with this now, for example? Like, so I um, well, basically you can post I, it on your websites, you know, post the bills or post yeah. the website, writeyourloss.com, and say, hey, here's, here's, this is the positive action. This is, this, I believe, is the solution to us actually writing the laws and changing the laws that promote our freedom. And once you do that, you just take mm-hmm. the bill link. Just send it out to everybody. So here's the bill link to the bill that takes away the power of Congress to borrow money and just say, share it with everybody, yeah. you know, share it with, uh, you know, yeah. friends, family, media, and government and just do it. Yeah. And they're, they're, let's, let's, we don't know what's going to happen. We're all pioneers here. We don't know what's going to happen, but I'm curious. I think you are too. <laughs> let's see what we can yeah. do. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. No, it's awesome. I love that. Thank you so much. Jonathan Otto, thank you too. Let's talk again soon, and uh, let's see what we can do. And we'll uh, we'll be conversing off the air about legislation and, of course, your cures and everything else and treatment. So this is fascinating. I have a million more questions. I love that. We'll just we'll just pick up another time. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right, sounds great. Thank you so much, Greg. Okay, bye. All right, bye now. Whew, that was fun. That was incredible, actually. Uh, in fact, he, Jonathan may even want to stick around and, and listen to some of the chat we're going to have now. Kenneth Weeks, good morning, sir. How you doing? Oh, hello, hello. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can. I can. I think Jonathan's still on the line. Like I say, he's welcome to listen as long as possible. Even join the conversation too, because I don't, uh, I don't uh, cut people off just uh, because we're we're switching topics here. But uh, you were on. Let me just to refresh, folks. Here. I'm sort of switching gears in my head really fast. You were on about five years ago, and I just played our interview. Uh, recently uh, with you talking about drones. So what, what I want to find out is everything that's happened in, in the last five years. So let's, let's start basic level for folks. What is a drone? How did they come about? Who created this thing? And then we'll sort of, you know, quickly catch up to uh, surveillance drones and uh, all the nasty things they're doing now. <laughs> so how's that for an introduction? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, yes. Yeah, so uh, my name is Ken Weeks. Uh, I am a drone instructor. I work with uh, Unmanned Safety Institute. Uh, we are in the panhandle of Florida. Uh, primarily, we work uh, through the Gulf Coast State College at the moment, but we're actually nationwide. Our curriculum Where are you? is all over the panel? place. What's a, what, what town? Can we, are, we, are we still there? Uh, so I mean... we're actually in uh, Port St. Joe in Panama mm-hmm. City. Uh, okay. We're over at the campuses of Gulf Coast State College. Our curriculum goes through the college, but it also uh, we're approved through uh, the Florida Department of Education uh, for mm-hmm. our curriculum. And there's other states that have uh, gotten on board recently because uh, this is a really interesting and, and uh, uh, growing field uh, over the last you few years. You mean I can years, get a degree in drones? I, I can get my drone you, degree? <laughs> you can. You can. Really? You, there's what, classes what's it called? you can take, certif- certifications. So it's under the robotics program. Okay. It's uh, it's 
it's a robotic. You learn how to program, and a portion of it, and this is the portion that I uh, touch on, is the safety aspect of things. That's where Unmanned Safety uh, Institute comes in, and we mm-hmm. take the students through a safety course that uh, introduces them to specifically unmanned aerial uh, systems, and we teach them uh, you know, how to fly, but how to fly safely. We teach them about airspace. We teach them about weather. Essentially, it's private pilot ground school but with just a little twist to to make to focus on the drones part the drone I mean, a little twist it's a huge twist yeah, a little that's twist fascinating. so <laughs> you actually call drone pilots are, pilots go ahead i'm sorry <laughs> the where the the twist is you're not in the plane <laughs> you're <laughs> you're on the ground that's not a twist. Yeah. That's a revolution. That's that's huge. That's, that's a, a whole, big difference. Yeah. It yeah. is. Okay. It really is. Um, okay. We've seen in the last few years uh, the, that we've um, there's been, uh, especially in the field of commerce, there's been so many opportunities with small unmanned aircraft or or mm-hmm. uncrewed aircraft is what is one of the newer terms uncrewed aircraft uh, to to take pictures, to take surveys, to do inspections, to help with the uh, firefighting management that happens out west, uh, out in California sometimes, because they've got some fires every now and then. <laughs> Actually, I have them yeah. every summer. Uh, they have drones. I remember, I was or, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, and, well, so now they're using drones to help with that fire management. They're using uh, drones and uh, uh, first responders, police, uh, other fire agencies, Um they have – the military, of course, has had drones for years and years. I mean, mm-hmm. really and truly, drones have been around for 100 years. Really? Uh, the idea – oh, yeah. The idea of a drone has been around since the Wright brothers. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, tell me know, how. Flying around. I'm curious. It, I mean, Orville didn't so they, have to fly it. He, he could have had a drone fly the first airplane. <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> Well, they, I'm sure it went through their, their mind after the, the first actual accident. They, they were probably thinking, we should probably test these without anybody in them. But uh, there were, uh, and essentially what the military was doing, this was years and years ago, the military was using uh, these non-piloted aircraft uh, as, as a target practice right. for their, uh, their ground munitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what they were using them for. So drones, this idea of drones has been around for quite a while. Uh, in the beginning, it was target towing practice or target practice, uh, and then it kind of moved into it was in the uh, it was 50s and 60s, but really it kind of came in in the 60s and 70s where we started using drones as uh, more of a, a spy plane, uh, you know, something to use uh, on the other side of the planet to take pictures and then come back with some, uh, some information, with some data on what the enemy may be doing at the time. And so that's what a lot of the drones are being used for. But they weren't uh, necessarily connected through uh, GPS communications at the time, mm-hmm. uh, at least not yet. You know, a lot of these drones were being sent out with uh, just the, the right amount of programming and, and gyros and timers to essentially go over an area and then fly back and then really have no communication at all. Uh, and then it, it came to be that uh, GPS communications started getting utilized. Uh, of course, this is still military. And then it was in the 80s and 90s where 
the military was using these these drones to just uh, uh, visually see in in a more of a a live um, uh, situation. Well, they became predator drones on. too. They start killing people, and then, and <laughs> then they became predator people. drones. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, That's... the predator drone. A lot of those systems were coming out in the '90s. Uh, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you had some of these systems that were getting developed. It was in the later 90s, early 2000s, where things started really heating up. And then for the commercial side of things, that really picked up after 2015, 2016, when the Part 107 was in- introduced, uh, summer of 2016. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, we'll get some detail oh, on that. But, we, uh... we should. There's a lot of new things coming around. Um, okay. But once the new rules came through and the commercial side of things was opened up, uh, businesses everywhere were being introduced to a low-cost solution Mm -hmm. to a lot of their uh, commercial problems. And when you start to speak of things like, you know, uh, return on investment <laughs> when you speak to these business owners, you know, mm-hmm. they, they start to perk up. They say, oh, return on ROI. <laughs> I'm listening. Money. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can save you money. Oh, I'm listening. Yeah. Okay. So okay. It, w- it became something that it was a, a conversation uh, that started to, to happen across the country and around the world, really. Um, when you can get hmm. pictures, data, uh, you know, you can you can they do a survey over a, a field of soybean, or over a forest, or up a coastline, for all kinds of reasons. Uh, you start to to open up the opportunities, the business opportunities, and then uh, the ability to make things uh, more efficient or safer or uh, any any number of things. I teach at uh, the college level. And at the high schools uh, locally, and okay, where? Drones, Let's get some shameless plugs in here. So, so which high school? Sure, which, sure. Uh, how do people Absolutely. get a hold of you? So, Let's start that now, and I'll ask you again later. So, the high schools that we we are with, uh, we're in the Gulf County uh, high mm-hmm. schools and Franklin County high school. There's only one high school in Franklin County, but Franklin County and Gulf County. Okay. Um, we also have, I believe, at Milton High School. If I'm not mistaken, Milton High That's School has. Uh, that's where you, one of our te- one of the uh, teachers there is teaching the USI course. Um, and oh, can I go drone flying and, and, with them? Connect me after the show. I want to go drone flying again. Yeah, yeah. Give me. A, yeah, we can connect. Um, they so they have a, They do have a club or uh, they have okay. a program over there. Okay. Uh, Panama City also has a program, and Wakula has a program, and huh. that's just up here. So you're starting to see these drone programs uh, pop up. All over the place, all so over like the high state school of Florida, drone all clubs? over the country. Are there high school, high school drone, school clubs, drone clubs, college drone Absolutely. clubs? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. Wow. Uh, some of the clubs are more, uh, you know, they lean in the direction of building and engineering, uh, and some of the clubs lean in more of a direction of uh, like drone racing, which has become very popular recently. Tell um, me about. Even, I have all these questions on the same period. Tell me about drone racing because this is a kick. Oh goodness! So drone racing, uh, and that's it's it's a newer thing. Drone racing can be found 
on ESPN, on some of really? your sports channels. Yes, sir. Absolutely. It is a newer thing where... How about uh, Vegas? Kind of dead on drones? Uh, Do we have our favorite drones? Is Ve- it Vegas? Vegas yet? They have drone racing in <laughs> Vegas. They have drone racing no, in I mean, Dubai. I mean betting. Are people betting on this? Oh, uh, betting, you, betting. <laughs> um, yeah, some, some. There are some uh, uh, okay. folks that are out there betting. Well, go, so golly, if I ever you find can a bet bookie? on just about anything nowadays. <laughs> if I get a bookie, I can actually bet on drone racing? This is hysterical. <laughs> you Did call your local this? drone bookie. <laughs> we talked about this last time, five years. If I got listen, I remember from the interview, we were talking about uh, the, there was the Greyhound initiative where the, Florida was trying to get, I don't know if they did, I think they probably did, get rid of Greyhound racing. I thought, well, just do drone racing instead. You know, it's not cruel. And do the drugs. It doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt dogs, you know, and you and it's really fun, <laughs> you know, to watch. It's much nicer to watch, yeah. <laughs> and more interesting, faster, actually. And I don't, you know, nothing against the dogs, but these drones are fast. So I'd just assume watch the, watch the drones. <laughs> wow. Uh, no, it's been, uh, it's been very interesting to see the, the market open up uh-huh. uh, for, for drones and, and for the industry. You know, aviation... It's been around a long time, uh, band aviation, traditional aviation. Uh, you know, you, you've had uh, a long history with it. Um, yep. I've been in a long time. And we've seen over the years, uh, change is typically slow, especially when it comes to the rules with the FAA. Now, <laughs> oh, when it, well, and, and the way people are taught how to fly. I mean, my book is still current, and I wrote it 30 years ago. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that's, that's a 100%. You're absolutely right. He said with a grin. I Did have. you ever read my book? Oh, cool. Absolutely. Okay. It taught me everything that I know. Guess, guess okay. what I wound up doing? I became, and, and, and I will say a little influence from you, I huh. became an advanced ground instructor. Good. Interesting. <laughs> now, just, just out of selfish curiosity, what did you learn from the book? I learned that you really have to have some patience mm-hmm. uh, with the students um, because everybody learns differently. And mm-hmm. it's it's something that you as a teacher, you just kind of have to notice where a student needs a little help and where they uh, can just use a little encouragement. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things that the FAA, the, if, for those of us that become instructors, um, we will learn the, the four laws of learning from Reginald Thorndike, professor of, of you know, psychology or whatever, you know, wrote uh, understanding application and correlation. And I always brought my students up to the correlation level. So rote is do this because I said so. That's where 95% of flight instruction is at that basic level. It's stupid. People have no idea what they're doing. They get their license because they, they do what they're told to do, and they repeat the words that are necessary to pass their flight exams. It doesn't mean they have a clue what they're doing. The next one's understanding. Absolutely. So that's where we got to. Absolutely. And I said to my students, do okay. you understand? Okay, well, tell me what, you, tell me what your, your view on that is from rote to understanding. Well, what we've seen here, and it's uh, the experience recently with the high school and college, is that they have gotten really good at, uh, you know, soaking up a little bit of knowledge, uh, you saying the words, they repeating the words, and then a week or two later, uh, they couldn't tell you at all what was going on. <laughs> and I, I yeah. you know, but hey, that's okay. That's, that's part of the learning curve. They, they, it needs to be shown to them. Uh, it needs to be repetitive uh, and not in a way of, hey, let's just pass a test. Here's the answers. Let's pass the test. Let's get you through this. No, we want to stop. We want you to understand the concepts, each part that we're giving to you, because 
you know, when it, you're, you're out here in aviation, you're flying outdoors. One of the biggest mm-hmm. things that students have to wrap their mind around is the weather <laughs> mm-hmm. and that these micro-scale winds around a building, around a tower, around trees, these can affect your small unmanned aircraft, your small drone, and we just have to be thinking about the weather a lot. And it's typically something we don't have to think about the weather very much. I mean, we, with our cars, with us going outside, it's like, oh, if it's raining, we're not going outside. And if it's not raining, we will go outside. But for the drone, it's a little different because you can have 15-mile-an-hour winds, and that's too much. You can't go fly. <laughs> that's too, too much wind for your, your drone to fly. Now, for a traditional aircraft, 15 miles an hour, you know, you you might not even think twice about it. You get in the plane and go. I don't. These little cross <laughs> even, you know? even the smaller, <laughs> slower planes at 50 miles an hour. That's that's where it starts to get interesting. <laughs> you know, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you have a drone that flies, well, how fast do these smaller drones go? In other words, are they? Is the wind actually faster than the drone itself, or no? Or they just can't overcome uh, the wind. The, it depends on the drone you have. We have so we have small fixed wings uh, that have been flown. The small fixed wings, they mm-hmm. they don't pierce the wind as effectively as the multicopters. The multicopters do a better job. The quadcopters do a better job against the wind. They're, they're able to hold their position, but that's only because of the advanced technology, the GPS holding, uh, the accelerometers and, and gyros that keep that aircraft stable. It's, but they're still fighting a lot of wind. You know, we fly around with the students, or at least we were flying around with the DJI uh, Minis. And the DJI Minis, uh, it's a small quadcopter. It's uh, just so four about, the size of your, about the size of your hand. It's got about the size of your hand. And right. it's, it's very small. It's got a prop a propeller guards on it, you know, to kind mm-hmm. of keep the kids safe, right? So we're <laughs> flying around. And uh, if we get that small quadcopter in the air with the prop guards and we have say a 15 mile an hour wind we can watch that aircraft trying to fight against the wind but the wind will push it backwards <laughs> it just doesn't have enough power so okay. when you have a drone that's got a ton of power it's easier to fight against the wind but not enough power it's so small it just gets tossed around by the wind so it's uh it's just something that each aircraft uh, each day that you go flying will have to be looked at in a sense of, you know, can I make this flight? Is, is the wind too much, too great? And then a lot of times because these students aren't used to thinking about weather, weather mm-hmm. is something that we just, we harp on. We, we definitely <laughs> get into it uh, because the technology has made things uh, such a, it's been such a pleasure to fly that the systems take over so you don't you can let go of the controller and the drone will hover in place it will fly all by itself and you can take your hands off the controller see that was a shock to me so just to let folks know um ken when he was uh when he did the first interview with me actually brought we had a studio at wby and uh, uh still my favorite job of all time i love i love being there and we had a studio we had <laughs> microphones around a table and and kenneth was actually flying a drone in the studio while I'm on the radio. <laughs> he was on the radio, too. It was hysterical. Uh, oh, we need that video, too. Remember the video you guys took in the studio? I don't know where that is. I want to put that back on, uh, on my Facebook pages now. But you were making a video oh, at the that. time uh, of, of the drones flying around. And this is a drone staring me in the face while I'm on the radio. It's hysterical. Uh, and then, <laughs> fortunately, uh, Ken had some extra time, so we went out into the field. 
Oh, is a voice there? Someone else is. Uh... They can go back to their normal schedule. Oh. What? <laughs> Sorry, we were. Uh, I'm actually here at this school that was an all call over the uh, intercom. <laughs> oh, okay. That, that wasn't. A, you don't have to say yes, dear. You don't have to go. I just want to check. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. That was the, the school intercom. No, no. Well, okay, fine. that's good. <laughs> okay, fine. Anyway, so Ken uh, and uh, I think Kelsey's there too. So we went out. To, uh, we had this big field beside the the, uh, the radio station, and Ken taught me how to fly a drone. And what I found so fascinating was how quickly I can how to do this because it has this hover function. So I can just let it sit in space, and it just sits there, <laughs> you know, hovers away. So this thing actually has, you're saying, gyro instruments. It's got stabilizers. It's got some pretty sophisticated stuff. And that wasn't that complex a drone, and that was five years ago. And it still just sat there in the air. Absolutely. I mean, these, hmm. these things, are, they're like a flying cell phone. Uh, it's, it's pretty state-of-the-art. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it actually takes a lot of the skill set of a pilot. So, so people sometimes are intimidated about getting their hands on the controllers and flying the <laughs> aircraft. But not, <laughs> just grab not, it. Let me drive you it. You don't have to be. Absolutely. <laughs> you shouldn't be. Not today. Not with the aircraft we have now. Uh, things are, are much easier. Uh, you can take off. You can be in the air. You can be comfortable. You can fly mm-hmm. around. So this whole technology that. has... Yeah. It is just, it's really, really helped out. It's, it's actually had a lot of people gravitate uh, into this unmanned uh, aerial systems field uh, from mm-hmm. all kinds, all walks of life. We've had, we, you know, uh, power companies, power line, uh, linemen who come through the program. What do they do, what do, they do with power uh, lines? What's, uh, let's talk about each industry because this is kind of fascinating to me. So what can a drone do absolutely. faster than a person? So right now... Uh, mm-hmm. the, the typical way that a power company, an energy company, would inspect their power lines is with a helicopter, and they have a, uh, a certified uh, technician who uh, basically has a pair of binoculars, and the helicopter flies up and down these lines as, as somebody That's inspects expensive. Them. That's like That's expensive. What's a helicopter, 500 or $1,000 an hour to operate a, a standard oh, helicopter? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you have to consider how much the energy company is paying. It's one of their people. It's insurance. It's the helicopter. Mm-hmm. It's fuel. It's everything. Mm-hmm. You yeah. have an aircraft, uh, you know, a, a helicopter that's flying. <laughs> you know, yeah. expensive. Over, and the helicopter, I mean, lunch. it's over a million. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah lunch, exactly. Um, and it's, uh, you're, you're flying fast. You're flying low uh, so that the inspector can, a can look at the line. Don't it's hit the hazard. power lines, it's those high-tension power lines in your helicopter. You can only get so close to those things. Exactly, exactly. So it, it is a risk. You have mm-hmm. multiple people in the helicopter. No, don't get me wrong. This has been going on for years and years. This is not nothing new. Mm-hmm. It's a risk that the power company has, has already accepted over the years because it's part of their, uh, it's part of their insurance coverage that they have to inspect right. their lines. But, no, that's a good thing. It's a good thing they inspect. I'm not complaining about that. Yeah. It, it, oh, absolutely. I mean, nobody wants down lines. That's a, it's, it's a big headache when all you know, the power in the neighborhood goes out. <laughs> well, that happens to my so, show. It happened uh, yesterday. <laughs> you know, I had 20 minutes left to go, and we had some – I don't know what happened. We had like a storm, and everything just went out. And so I have to get one of those universal power supply things to keep the show going when we have problems. But, yeah, I, I understand power. We, my show can go out at any time. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Anyway, but uh, – but reliable electricity, especially if you're trying to do like gas stoves now, the next way to have what I call mono energy, 
you know, one single source of all our energy, which is crazy to me. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, anyway, so the drones can inspect the, the power lines. They can also do construction too, right? They can be all over a building, mm-hmm. every little part of it. Absolutely. Can, they okay. can uh, inspect buildings. They can render 3D models of buildings mm-hmm. and, and projects. Oh. Uh, that helps can they inspect with, welds? Can they, like, do welding uh, inspections and things like that? Yes, yes, Did absolutely, absolutely. Uh, bridge inspection. In fact, uh, after okay. uh, the last hurricane in South Florida uh, this past year uh, that was so devastating, um, down in Naples they were using – uh, drones to inspect the bridges, to inspect mm. as, you say, as the welds on the bridges and then the connections and everything so to make sure it was safe mm-hmm. for people to travel on. And instead of getting, because I don't know, you've probably seen how they inspect bridges. They take a truck that's got a boom arm. It goes up and around and over the side of the I bridge. And then that, two people. I can oh, visualize, it's wild. Yeah. It's basically oh, okay. a bucket truck on an on a <laughs> articulating arm. It's really interesting. I the first time I seen it, I was very shocked to see two people in a bucket under a bridge, on the side of a truck. It's just the, the most interesting thing. But that's a, a lot of ways. That's how they do it. They'll, that's right. and it. They have to close a lane. It costs you know a fair amount of money. Money. And instead of doing that, they could take a drone. Nobody uh-huh. has to be in a bucket truck hanging off the side of a bridge in a fairly, <laughs> I don't want to say fairly, but a reasonably risky condition. I mean, I don't Unless want to be high wind. off the side of a bridge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What if it's high wind, you know? So it's, yeah. uh, so we look at all these uh, aspects of, of risk and see where we could replace not the person, but the, 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 the scenario. Let's change that scenario. We're still going to check the weld. Somebody's still right. going to be there to check the weld. They're just not going to mm-hmm. be on the side of the bridge, you know, they'll be on the ground nearby and that that's all they really need to do. So things are safer. You don't have to block traffic. There's so many positives to using these small unmanned aerial uh, systems. And, uh, and it's growing and growing. I've seen uh, marine biologists use drones. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Oh, this that happened when I was a tour guide. I, I've told that story. In fact, I told it five years ago that when I was, uh, I drove these motorized cable cars down to Fort point which is the base of the Golden Gate Bridge. And you're right there on San Francisco Bay. And every January, February, the, the same pod of, of dolphins came in for the herring run. And the, the marine biologists would tell me they, they could identify the dolphins by their scars, by the, the scar pattern that they had. And they were tracking dolphins. And that's how they tracked and cataloged you know, which dolphins were coming. And so they asked us as tour guides you know, to report whenever they saw dolphins. And so uh, several times, you know, especially in the wintertime when I saw the dolphin pods, you know, I called the biologists like, they're here. <laughs> okay, thanks. Be right out. You know, and they take their drones, <laughs> they fly them out over the dolphins, you know, several mm-hmm. hundred yards, you know, into San Francisco Bay. Now they're more sophisticated now. Uh, well, like, do they have like a TV screen where they can, they can see what the drone sees and, and fly it? Cause they don't have to, they don't actually have to see the drone as much as they did before. There's like, you know, and there's beyond dual range drones. The technology is completely different. Can they fly from a laptop and, and still keep track of where the drone is, that kind of stuff? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Uh, the ability to to see what the drone sees, and it's in just crystal clear picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's real-time data. So these marine biologists can, can gather the information that they need without having to uh, 
be too hands-on with the animal you know they Mm -hmm. can they can sit back a little bit and just fly over the animal it's it doesn't put too much stress on the animal you know that was my next question the animals are accepting the animals are accepting these things right because it's it's not a human it's not it's not a threat it's just kind of weird like a big bug or some bird flying by exactly exactly most animals when they see drones uh it just looks odd to them they don't real they're not as scared you know if a human was to walk up on most of these animals they they would run but when the right. drone gets close to them they just kind of look at it like a thing it doesn't it doesn't strike fear in them so yeah it's a huh. it allows us the pilots to get closer to some of these animals without uh stressing them out uh which is is turned out to be really well i i just can't say enough how it's been pushing the field of uh, marine biology and 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 what the uh, the animal uh, conservationists can do with uh-huh. these drones by helping the animals. So it's just another another outlet, another outlet. Well, it's also dangerous animals too. I mean, you can get up closer to you know huge blue whales that uh, might you know knock your little boat out. You know, we need a bigger boat. <laughs> you know, Robert Shaw and John. exactly. You know, and exactly. if you want to go photograph, um, you know, wolves or, or lions or major predators, wolves? You, you know, you, you're better off with a drone rather than sitting there and go, hey, you know, can I get to know you for six months? Or like the, the silverback gorillas and things like that. So not only it protects the people, <laughs> right, the, the animals right. protects the people. So are drones quieter now so they, they don't have that? Because if they're loud, that's going to impact animals. Animals are really in tune to sounds. But if the drones are much quieter, that, have they gotten they quieter are. over they're the years They're quieter too? and they're okay. smaller. Okay. Uh, and that small flight profile, it mm-hmm. is it is keeping the noise down. It's keeping the the overall uh, you know the the excitement is is down because you just don't have a great big aircraft. You know when you when you're flying around and you've got say uh, propellers that are six feet wide and they're spinning and causing all this commotion, then. Mm-hmm. Good good luck getting near any animals <laughs> or anything, you know. And you know it's funny because years ago we we were thinking about uh, all the different opportunities with like real estate and like wedding photography and stuff. And, mm. and I don't know if you if you if you could imagine having a great big drone at a wedding. It doesn't translate at all. <laughs> it just it's just a big mess. You know, there's wind everywhere. It's buzzing. Nobody's looking at the bride. It's, it ruins somebody's well, that's the worst wedding. Part. So it's the worst, <laughs> right. You know, the bride's yeah. upset, you know, so you actually yeah. want a small, quiet drone that nobody mm-hmm. really notices is there. You know, you, mm-hmm. there's, there's multiple reasons to have these smaller drones and that's where the technology's going. And, and, uh, it, it's really good to see, uh, so many people, at least from my point of view, and I'm sure you can see this as well, we're introducing a whole new group of people into aviation that may have otherwise never been or had could care so less about So where do people come aviation. from? Bartenders, accountants, you know, military people? Who, who oh, comes my gosh. No. Uh, we have a fair amount of people from, say, insurance companies who go through. We have power well, companies that go through. Oh, okay. uh, the state of Florida at the state and the at state level and county level, they have and city. The, there are people that come through for various things. Uh, the property appraisers um, use drones. Huh. Uh, Santa Rosa County, uh, Bay County, if I'm not mistaken, huh. um, and, and many other counties in Florida utilize drones for um, property appraisal. 
Um, Speaking and, of property, uh, let's talk about crack houses and law enforcement. <laughs> law enforcement has been uh, <laughs> with drones too, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Not too long ago uh, in Panama City, a drone was used uh, during an active shooter situation uh, where really? a drone uh, – yes, sir. The drone was used to get behind an uh, apartment complex, uh, mm-hmm. and the, the shooter was on the second story of this apartment complex, and the drone was uh, lowered slowly down over the roof line to look inside the window where the shooter was so they could identify where that shooter was. Now, hmm. by the time that they got there, I think what the situation evolved to was that the shooter, um, he resolved his own issue. And so there was, they didn't have to go in there and, and, and I think I know take what the you shooter mean by that, out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he he took care of it himself. So, um, but the drone was able to see the shooter clearly, and also see that the shooter was was neutralized and was no longer a problem. So then they allowed the SWAT team to go in and and secure the room. Um, mm. But the SWAT team, uh, you know, they were uh, very uh, grateful that they could see, you know, get an eye on the situation without having to put one of their uh, people. Uh, oh yeah, that's know, like the the, the bomb uh, robots, you know, as well. Like you see the Hurt Locker, you know, these little robots that go out and pull out these IEDs as improvised explosive devices and things. You know, now can they put infrared sensors, heat sensors, maybe ultraviolet? Can they do X-rays for analyzing building structures and things like that? I mean, how how sophisticated are they at this point? Uh, well, so your regular lens, your EO, your IR, infrared, um, you can put multispectral, uh, you can put, uh, LIDAR. LIDAR is actually, uh, What's that? being used. So LIDAR, you know, like radar, but with light, it's sending out lasers and hmm. essentially it's creating a point cloud image with all the data points that it picks up. And we're talking hundreds of thousands of data points a second. Wow. Uh, it's incredibly fast. Uh, these LIDAR systems, they, they were large, robust systems that were sitting in the back of, say, like a King Air aircraft, you know, mm-hmm. and they needed something that big. Now uh, we're seeing LIDAR systems small enough to be used on drones, and so these drones are able to provide LIDAR services to people who before now, they just couldn't, have, couldn't have, it's such a hurdle. It's so um, cost prohibitive, uh, prohibitive that we, most people wouldn't overuse it. So uh, there was recently a story about an entire Mayan temple that was found in Central America wow. because of a drone with a LIDAR. Huh. Like it, it was sitting in the woods in a village somewhere, and nobody knew it was there until somebody did a LIDAR scan of the of the area and found an I entire temple. We can find better treasure <laughs> in the Caribbean. <laughs> we should get down there right away. This is fine. All right. Um, it seems to have something I thought they of much earlier. they find buried treasure with a LIDAR, I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hey, listen, if you can find it with a metal detector, you can just find it with a LIDAR. Why not? Um, <clears throat> what, I, what I was thinking of earlier as we were talking about this is that the, uh, the, the, the different – uh, technologies that have come together to to make uh, a modern drone. There's a lot. You've got aviation technology with the propellers. You know, the Wright brothers mm-hmm. actually designed the first propeller. You've got that. You've got hobby aircraft. You know, people started flying these little uh, aircraft on a, on a cable system, walking around a circle, which is kind of stupid. But then they started flying them, um, you know, hobby airplanes with a radio control. 
And so you've got that technology. Mm-hmm. You've got radio control technology. You've got photographic stuff. You've got photography, you know, from Ansel Adams, black and white photography to modern day to satellite to laser imagery, all kinds of things like that. That's in this. You've got robotics. This is a robot. You know, it actually has arms and hands and does things and moves. Uh, it also has GPS. You've got GPS technology. So you've got that. So all these different things have come together in this, this mm-hmm. one technology. So, to, so it's really not one technology, isn't it? Is it? It's really a, a combination of technologies that are all complementing each other in this, in this one uh, system. Absolutely. It's exactly hmm. what it is. It, it is okay. And that's why we, we uh, and you probably hear it a lot, is the small unmanned aerial systems, because it's really hard to just say it's an aircraft, because it's more than just the aircraft. There's the ground control station, there's the, the, the communications, there's the payload, the payload communication. So there's, there's more to it than just that aircraft, and that's why we typically you'll hear it or you might see it somewhere in advertising as, as being a, a system. And some uh, advertisers even say unmanned aerial solutions, uh, depending on where Google they're website. advertising. Okay, I have your website here, and you've got some uh, – this is the uh, offshore uh, UAS site. You've got the, this, this Pegasus and this Argus. These things look like airplanes. So these are airplane-like well, so, drones so, as opposed to bug-like so drones? One, <laughs> that one's a little different. So. The off, the, if you're at the offshore site, so offshore, uh, offshore was a company that we were with for, for a while. We're actually, it's a different company now that, that I'm oh, with, okay. uh, Un, Unmanned Safety Institute, USI. But the, and we're deal with curriculum now. The site you're talking about, the other one that's uh, offshore, they're still in operation. Uh, mm-hmm. We still talk to them. Uh, they are in the Maryland area, and they uh, train they're more on the DOD side of things as far as oh. their operation. They don't have a whole lot of commercial clients that, that I know of. I may be speaking now to turn there. So these are uh, military things their, here? This is kind of fun. Most now, of their, I'm really their curious. clientele okay. are going to be correct. They're more of a D, DOD side of things. Um, and, and they do but drones outstanding look like airplanes. work. Outstanding work. But, well, I'm yeah, sorry? But they're, they're drones that look like airplanes and the drones that look like bugs. Uh, how, oh, how did yeah. those different things develop? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, tell me about those, you know, because it's, it's fascinating. So uh, what we're seeing is, uh, and, and this actually brings a good conversation. What we're seeing is a lot of the military-style aircraft mm-hmm. drones that are being used. Right. If you pull the munitions off and, and some of that secret special spy stuff they got in there and just <laughs> use it, as a as a regular drone, regular aircraft that can be uh, utilized for taking pictures or surveys or stuff, then the mm-hmm. commercial companies can utilize the military-grade aircraft all day long. There's nothing wrong with them using that. They just have to incorporate it into their 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 projects. And let me give you an example: Florida okay. Power, Florida Power and Light. And you can look this up. This actually just happened recently. Is Florida Power well, and Light you. has invested? They've invested heavily into the unmanned market, and they themselves have a drone that looks like an airplane. That uh, it's like a, it looks like a small kind of uh, shortened style. Imagine an airplane that was built to never hold a person. That's what it looks like. <laughs> 
Well, that uh, well, and, and that's the advantage of this is that you don't have to have room, you don't have to have the size, you don't have to have the human element, you don't need oxygen, you know, you don't, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's all kinds of, it's just a battery that runs it, there's all kinds of things you don't need. So it's a huge weight saving, there's no ergonomics, they don't care about, exactly. you know, it's just all electronic, it's, it's, not just, even... it's just stuff, it's all mechanical. Exactly, things hmm. simple. It, it makes the engineers extremely happy because they don't have to hear about somebody complaining about the seat or the seat belt <laughs> being the plane, you know. It's it's just the electronics, just the components that get the aircraft in the air. And the, the conversation we were just having about uh, the power company inspecting their power lines, well, that's right. it. That's, what they, that's their solution is they want huh. an unmanned aircraft inspecting the lines instead of a helicopter putting people at risk. Yeah. Let's talk about the, the fun aspect of these because I've seen uh, YouTubes of, of personal drones where I might be able to just hop in my own personal drone with eight propellers and I can take off and I can fly 50 miles, you know, and just go on my own. It's like, wouldn't well, this be great? You know, out in the fresh air, I get my little helmet and goggles. It's like, hey, Greg's flying, you know, take off from my front yard and boom, you know, and just uh, ah, so this and this and pretty things told, happening. Yes. What's it called? Oh, so uh, they, they refer to them as the eVTOLs. Um, and it's like an electric VTOL, vertical takeoff and landing. And okay. they, there's a couple of them that started, a couple of Chinese manufacturers that started. They were like the first ones. Uh, Ehang, I think, was one of them, one of the first companies out there. There's a couple others that have come up since. And this idea of having people have their own, essentially it's their own private aircraft, uh, mm-hmm. that they're not really the pilot of. They are essentially going to get into an aircraft, uh, get on their tablet or their phone, tell the aircraft where they want to go, and then the aircraft takes them. So this is less of people learning how to fly and more of getting a product to customers that allows them to go from point A to point B without touching anything, much like the autonomous car. That's the direction they wanted to go. Okay, so my first question being a pilot is what happens when something goes wrong? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and me both. That was my first question. Was, well, what, what happens if – because they clearly don't know how to fly or anything about the aircraft. Yeah. And the, the answer that these companies are coming up with, they're saying, well, we're going to put three layers, four layers, five layers of emergency procedures, emergency – we're going to give them a parachute. We're going to give them airbags. We're going to make the whole thing out of plastic. You know, they're, they, they're putting all these safety guards in place so that mm-hmm. essentially the person, there isn't a need for that person to, to do anything. Mm, this sounds familiar. I, this sounds like, remember the movie <laughs> War Games with uh, Matthew Broderick and uh, what's your name? The, you know, I forgot. To, anyway, so yeah, you know, the computer's going to handle all, all our defense systems. Right. Let's talk, mm-hmm. about what happened. Let's talk about what happened yesterday which I think I reported this in the first hour, the NOTAM system went down and all of a sudden every airliner in the country couldn't fly because they couldn't find out if there was a tower, you know, five miles southwest of runway three, two, they couldn't find out if the beacon was be at, was going to be out at night, even though they had a daytime flight. This NOTAM thing is hysterical. So you got a couple of pilots here. So we, oh. can, we can talk flying stuff for a little bit. This cracked me up. They shut down the entire airline air traffic control system because they couldn't get their notices. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, have to get, I, I have to get your take on that. <laughs> so that one confused me too. Yeah, that was that was mm-hmm. interesting. I heard the news come up, and 
uh, I heard, okay, the whole system's down. We're not really flying. I thought, okay, well, why? And the news was like slowly trickling in. And then they came out, okay, it's because of the NOTAM system. NOTAM system? (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of of good information uh, that is being shared on the NOTAM system. Oh, Uh, I'm not saying the information's wrong. I'm just saying they could have done it through ground control. You know, I mean, the airlines could have, uh, you know, made some phone calls and to all their, because the airlines only serve 30 major airports in the United States. Most airliners don't go to, you know, Podunk Nowhere. And if you're a, a private or a charter pilot, just call the airport up and say, hey, what's going on? Got any no-tams? And they would have told exactly. them. Or send an email. But they, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, it would have been much easier. And they, what, they wound up, uh, what they wound up doing is they were holding planes from taking off, but the planes that were still in the air, they were able to navigate them back to where they – or, you know, navigate them to where they needed to be, which they were going to do anyways. Again, I don't Wait see what the no-tams no have nothing to do with that. nothing to do with navigation or There's flying. nothing to do with navigation. The, the airplane the, – the, yeah. they don't revoke the laws of physics. You know, the jets still work. They still take in air, mix it with fuel, and blast it on the back end. You know, the principles of lift still hold true. So those planes in the sky, the only thing is – so this was an information problem. This wasn't a – this wasn't a physics or, a, or an airplane problem. And I, and I talked earlier about no. flow control and things like that. But uh, this was just – this was simply a government screw-up. And if they're going to screw that up, I can't imagine what they could do with drones. But, you know, I mean, the no-tems, I mean, oh, all the yeah. stupid things. There were so many. But here's what, here's what I'm thinking, though. The government, you know, if, especially if the government's regulating drones. All right, so I want to get into that, too. If they're trying to make them fail safe and perfect, the more they try to make perfect, the more things can go wrong and screw them up. You know, so there's a, there's a, there's oh, a yeah. gap. There's like a, you know, yeah, there's a competency gap. Well, that, that's the, that's the billion dollar question right there is mm-hmm. this urban transportation management um you know Ooh, we've seen the we, yeah, we, we've seen the communication come from 4g to 5g okay. and with this introduction of the 5g communications the 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 amount of data that you can process is much faster well not just faster but also more data and mm-hmm. this is what's going to help keep track of all these new drones that are going to be added to the systems. I don't know if you know this or you've probably heard about it. In, uh, in Florida here, just outside of Tampa, at a Walmart, they are delivering packages from the Walmart uh, with a cooperation with a company called DroneUp. That's in Florida. That's happening right now. They're delivering mm. goods from Walmart Can to get the a local signature? area <laughs> with a drone. Do you have like a little yeah. finger pad with – with the drone, the drone rings your doorbell. <laughs> you answer the door, and there's a yeah. drone with your package, and then and then you like punch it's, in a code. Or I mean, how does how does it work? How do they get a signature? <laughs> I'm sorry. It is wild. I know. I, you know, just even hearing about it, you're like, how do you get around all these problems? And mm-hmm. essentially, what they're doing is they're flying over, they're lowering a package on a on a small uh, winch, essentially. They mm-hmm. lower it down. It unhooks the package, and then the drone flies off. Yes, yeah, like those things at the, the fair. Walmart. Remember the, the those hands that would drop down? Of course, they were made loose, so you couldn't pick up stuff. But uh, yeah, it's like <laughs> a little, okay. So they could just actually they could land the drone. The drone could actually physically land, you know, in the front yard somewhere. You know, they got cameras now. Are people actively flying these, or are these automatic? Do they have like a GPS program to go to certain coordinates? They are automatic. They've been programmed, but there's somebody huh. who's monitoring the flight. There's somebody who's keeping an eye on the flight. So there is somebody there, but the autonomous system is what's controlling the whole process. Okay. So how the, regulated the is this? Is only like the part, 
Yeah, we've got to get to part 107 in a minute here. But I, I just see, you know, of course, you expand this. You get whole, all these drones in the sky. Uh, they're going to have to be – are they assigned altitudes? Uh, do they have flight paths? Do they have prearranged, you know, a certain amount of stuff? I mean, what's, what's controlling the drones as this grows so they don't all run into each other? Uh, you, sir, are on to the billion-dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never asked you questions. First thing about this no, story, no, I, and hey, I wouldn't, ex- I wouldn't yeah. expect anything less. I mean, these are the yeah. hard-hitting questions that really have yeah. to be asked because okay. if you're going to insist that there's, uh, you know, package delivery where there's hundreds of drones all over the place, there has to be some type of regulation to keep them separate, to keep them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from hitting each other, or else you're just going to have free packages landing in people's yards and you know <laughs> and what if it goes nobody, to nobody. what do you do did the drone have to fly yeah, back and pick exactly. it up again <laughs> and and hey walmart's funny. not the only one you got walmart okay. amazon cvs walgreens ups dhl they are all going to do it they all have plans on doing it wait a minute so, so let's talk a big, about big thing Let's talk about cybersecurity. So if I was a smart criminal hacker, the first thing I would do mm-hmm. is hack into Tiffany's jewelry, you know, deliveries, okay, <laughs> or, or prescription drugs. I would, I would hack into, uh, you know, CVS, Walmart, uh, Walgreens. I'd hack into all the drugstores and take all the prescriptions and sell them on the street. That's what I do. If I were a criminal, mm-hmm. that, you know, and a mastermind with, with, uh, with computers, you know, get some, uh, some government hacker who retires from the, uh, the, the National Reconnaissance Office. And we, we talked about those, the intelligence agencies a few days ago. And so, or you get some disgruntled person who was fired, you know, for being too corrupt, even for the government, which is hard to imagine. They start working for a criminal <laughs> enterprise, and then they start uh, hacking drones. I mean, who's to say these things can't be hacked? And, uh, you know, hey, you want your goods back? It's going to cost you Walmart. <laughs> Why not? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. There are, there's a lot of questions There's security questions, communication mm-hmm. questions. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and Justin, even if it wasn't somebody hacking the signal, there's mm-hmm. so much Wi-Fi out here now. There's so many mm-hmm. different signals that just having signal interference is itself yeah. its own problem. I mean, if you were, you know, again, for nefarious reasons, if somebody had, let's say, a Wi-Fi or signal jammer, well, hmm. you can disrupt business just by one of those alone. And so mm-hmm. not to, you know, seed that idea. Yeah, drones falling out of just, the sky. Can. They're going to falling out of the sky. They just turn them off. Just I hit mean, the drone turn off. <laughs> exactly. And we have to think about this as we, you know, get into this new territory, which it is. You know, yeah, we've had cargo delivery and aircraft, but they're going from airport to airport. We don't mm-hmm. typically have an airplane or a helicopter leaving the rooftop of CVS to go bring your neighbor their prescriptions. That's never happened yeah, the, before. The Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, they paid the extra fee to get it there, so they're going to get it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, it's anonymous. You know, who knows what's, uh, what's going to happen. And I think – Yeah, this is fascinating. It's really interesting. Well, let's talk about part 107. And I, I'm not mis- – yeah, yeah. yeah. Me, well, go ahead. So the part 107, um, and here's mm-hmm. here's something that, uh, and I'll, I'll probably have to wrap wrap up with this. Is that's fine. The part 107 is it's out there. It's been around since 2016. If anybody's thinking about getting it, I highly recommend you doing so because by September 16th of this year, mm-hmm. if you do not have your part 107, right? You're so you're just somebody who likes flying hobby aircraft. Mm-hmm. You will not be able to go in your backyard or your friend's backyard or even to your uh, like the local city park, you will need to go to a designated what they call a FRIA, 
an FAA recognized identification area where essentially it's an AMA field. It is a hobby field. That is the only place you can go fly hobby, not in your backyard, not at the beach. You will only be able to fly there. And that rule goes into place this year, September 16th. Well, that's interesting. Now, if you have your Part 107, you have taken that exam, which is that's all it is, is an exam. If you take hmm. that exam um, and you have your 107, then you are allowed to fly in, in as long as you're in Class G airspace, you're allowed to fly in those airspaces. Define that, for uh, people. But Define Class uh, so Class G airspace. We always say Class G. Class G is good. Class G <laughs> is for the general public. <clears throat> Class G starts at the ground, and it, it, that's what it does. It's at the bottom. It's Class G. Uh, it's anything off the ground and up to uh, essentially 1,199 feet or 1,200 feet. We say uh, from zero to 1,200 feet is Class mm-hmm. G, except for certain areas where it on the map will tell you it's lower or high, you know, a different altitude. Well, airport depending areas, on where you're at. you know, it could be uh, 900 or 600 or depending what's going on. I don't know what the latest charts are. I'm going to get caught up. But but you don't you don't want to fly these things around airports anyway. Because they have airplanes there. Well, it's, exactly. You, you want to stay away from airports. You want to stay away from where this congestion is. And that's what the 107 mm-hmm. does. It lets people get the rules and the regs so they can stay clear of all this, these hazards. Uh, but, uh, the, like I say, this year in September, you're going to see the rules change uh, to where you have to have that license or you're going to get forced to go somewhere else. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, let's say, next uh, holiday, like le- next Christmas, when people get drones and then find out they can't go outside and fly them. <laughs> so that, what's involved? What's how, much, how much time would it take for me to get my Part 107? I should do it anyway. I'll add it to my, my ground instructor, my flight instructor, my, uh, you know, my, my commercial pilot certificate, things like that. I, I can always use another certificate. <laughs> How do I get Oh, it? absolutely. It is, it, it, you need, uh, it is a 70-question uh, uh, test. You uh-huh. get signed up like you would all of your other uh, private pilot exams. Mm-hmm. And it, it would take, I would say conservatively, if you were to study every single day, you could achieve, well, you, Greg, well, I know you got, you're, you're way more <laughs> beyond, the, well, I, beyond the standard student, okay, you know, fine. You, you have a, a baseline <laughs> well, there. Uh, there's, no, there's no point you for, would for be BSing able to. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I got I to gotta get away back no, on the show next time. No, right? you, do, you can go back anytime you want. You've got a standing invitation, you know, so it's, it's, I oh, love talking love about it, this love stuff. love it. Yeah. It, it, it wouldn't take too long. It really wouldn't take too long. You, you go over the rules. You gotta go over the airspace, and that's a big thing: is knowing what mm-hmm. is controlled airspace and what's uncontrolled airspace. And we are allowed freely in uncontrolled airspace. Okay. And uh, so that's that's essentially what you need to do. You wouldn't take it wouldn't take someone like yourself very long. Uh, if say somebody had a zero uh, understanding of aviation. Uh, it still wouldn't take, but maybe a few weeks, maybe a So I could just learn month. this online? I could take, like, read the book online and just learn <laughs> the rules and take the test, and I've got my Part 107? Is it that easy? Or do I have to Absolutely. go to an instructor? Do I need an endorsement? You could do it. I've, I've had many students come to me for the safety course that we have, and they right. have their 107, and they said, oh, yeah, I studied online, and I took it. I never had anybody instruct me at all. Hmm. So – 
it's not a it's not a terribly difficult exam. Uh, it just requires the understanding of basic aviation terminology and the airspace, and of course the regulations that uh, are over this drone side of the house here. Got it. I'll get my one hundred and seven. Hey, and then I'll should. take it on my jet. And <laughs> we have Action Radio One, and I have my Viper Jet Mark Two. You know, we were uh, we're, we're flying like four hundred knots. <laughs> That's gonna be fun. A little faster than you. Hey, at, at at this rate, it'll be a, a fully autonomous jet. <laughs> Not necessarily. We should talk about that next time too, because I, I see airliners <laughs> and uh, the entire military. You know, I envision the next battle, the Star Wars battle, is going to be. You know, it's going to be our supercomputers versus their supercomputers, and all our drones will be controlled by supercomputers, mm-hmm. and we'll go out and attack their drones from their supercomputers, and people will just sit back and watch it on video games. You know, on, on video. Screens. I'm telling you. I mean, I don't want to lead you down another rabbit hole because I do have to run, but I'm sure you've seen that they're using drones in Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're all Iranian drones from the one that uh, that we let Iran capture. Remember when Iran shot down one of our drones? I do. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it conveniently showed back up like a month later. Yeah, yeah, reverse engineered. (laughs) Listen, give your contact information one more time and then just come on back whenever you feel like it. Just let me know. Absolutely. So, uh, Ken Weeks, uh, you can uh, find me, uh, ken.weeks at unmantacksafety.org. I work with Unmanned Safety Institute. I am an instructor, and we teach uh, drone safety, and we're located here in the panhandle of Florida. Uh, And and one thing I should mention is that um, Mm -hmm. uh, through a grant from the Triumph Foundation, we uh, actually offer this class free to residents who live in the eight counties affected uh, by the BP oil spill. Huh. So that would be yeah. Santa Rosa County. Uh, it would. So Escambia, Santa Rosa, uh, Walton, Okaloosa, uh, Bay, Franklin, uh, and I'm missing two others. I think Wakula. I'm missing one here. Anyhow, mm-hmm. um, those counties that are that were affected, um, the Triumph Grant. This is a free course. It's a free safety course that they can yeah. uh, sign up with. They can go to USI uh, UnmannedSafetyInstitute.org to find more information. Sounds good. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Let's do it again soon, and uh, or anything that breaks, any news on on, on drones, and I'll get my part uh, 107 and just to add it to the collection because <laughs> you never know. I might want to fly drones out of my backyard. Who knows? Yeah. Please do. Let's go fly. Sounds good. Thanks, Kenneth. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Greg. Take care. Right, there we go. Whew, I'm a, I'm a wreck. <laughs> I'm just exhausted. This has been fascinating. I had the first hour uh, where I got to uh, you know monologue, as they say, and I had the second hour with Jonathan Otto, who was just fabulous, and then we just had this this last hour with uh, Kenneth Weeks, you know, talking drones. So it's it's been quite a show. So save it, send it to all your friends and family. You know, get the podcast out there. Uh, and uh, the live show is now. Uh, and then, of course, you know, podcast, uh, that's where most people still listen. But if you can catch the live show, then when you, you can call in. You can type in on live chat. Uh, you can, we have our Skype line. Uh, usually you have to call in. Well, you have to call in ahead of time, and I have to, uh, you know, okay your account. And then you can call the show directly while we're on the air from anywhere in the world, you know. And so depending on your time zone and if you're awake or not. Uh, but our big site, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. That's where the show is that you're listening to right now. And the other, of course, is our, our legislative website, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. And then to help us out, givesendgo.com slash action radio. That's givesendgo.com slash action radio. That will help us out. 
That's, um, that's what we need to increase our funding, which will increase our marketing, which will help our, our peaceful revolution of citizen legislation go forward. Plus the fact that uh, Jonathan's going to help us, Ken's going to help us, you know, all these people out there that keep helping. And I have more and more people, more guests. There's a lot of things coming. There's a lot of things coming. Tomorrow's our early day. Tomorrow's Friday. And so we start at 6 a.m. Central Time on Fridays, uh, 7 a.m. the rest of the week. And uh, that's what we do here. So I will see you all um, tomorrow morning as we do what we do best, Action Radio. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener. And help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people, 
give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Thank you.